so hopefully we'll launch in by September. Okay, we're so I'm talking about this September coming Yeah. Out. Maybe October. It depends how things go. Are you comfortable wearing headphones? Mm-hmm. That's good. Thank you. Three, three angles. Three angles. Nice. And um, which means, you know, I mean, more editing. Right. But but it'll come out it, dope. It'll come yeah. Out dope. Yeah. And there's a couple things that I want to like, stop doing. Mm-hmm. As far as free up some time, like the, you know, the way I edit my audio. Mm-hmm. Um, I just took a long time doing it. So right. I just gotta nip things in the bud. Right. To make up for the fact that I got more. Kind of refine it a little bit, huh? Yeah. Yeah, but your first season was fire, bro. Even some of the, like, Flex, I never thought, you oh, know, because me and Flex go back, too. I, I used to date it, date all three of his sisters. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so he kind of wanted to beat me up when I was young. He's older than me. He better stop messing with my sisters because, yeah, I'm going to beat your ass. All right, I'll stop. Because he got me, like, four, I was probably, like, 14 or 15. He was probably 18 or 19. Okay. So, yeah, he was like, "Yeah, stop playing with my sisters." I'm like, "Yeah, you got it." Like, I got my eye on you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, actually, uh, that was the first time I met him, but I knew of him, and we kind of talked here and there when he made beats. Right. I mean, he still no, does. No, not that flex, Felix. Oh, you talk about my bad. You talk about. Oh, okay. He goes oh. by Flex too. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He goes by, and, but Jose is one of my best friends. Jose, okay, okay. Jose, so the producer is one of my best friends. Flex, I grew up with. <clears throat> few your uh who else was on your show that i'm really cool with i mean like really cool with uh, every time you had a guest i was like ah fran yeah fran fran, fran yeah, she closed yeah. out the season for yeah. me okay can you hear yourself okay i can oh that's dope i like that yeah fran uh we did the uh latino empowerment program that she headed yes and i was in one of her classes yeah so i met fran through that yeah she really motivated me and kind of pointed me in the right direction that's what's up. Yeah. I met her Inc- right before the interview. Incredible woman. She's so dope. Incredible. I, I met her through LaRock Hudson. Okay, uh, I know the equity, yeah, yeah, through the Equity uh, Foundation. And he was like, you know, um, she, you need to get a hold of her. Right. Not just for the interview, but just Can- all around in general. survivor. Yeah. Like- and that's the thing, too. We didn't get into that in the conversation. You didn't. I oh. was trying to... Um, I mean, she feel for what she's people. Proud of yeah, you know what I mean. Like, I, I didn't know. I I didn't know that until after it was over. Right. I was like, I didn't know you fought cancer. Like, I mean, she took pictures like showing her scars. Yeah, I remember seeing that when I was going through some of the stuff, but it didn't click. Incredible, bro. Um. So yeah, man, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to to have you on because when you hit me up, right, I, I had a feeling that you were probably getting hip to the podcast a little bit. I, I, I followed you on TikTok. Okay, I, I, I seen some of the clips on TikTok, and I was like, wow, this show is. It's dope. Yeah, thank you, man. You're I'm welcome. trying. I'm trying and like to get you on was a goal of mine. I have like a mental notebook right. of like these are people that I and I start watching from afar to see what's going on. Right. But uh the dope thing about you is 
is that I've been watching you through socials for a while. Right. Um, okay. And we have like, uh, obviously we're getting to know the, the, the similar uh, people in our circles. This right. is our first time meeting though. Right. Um, I want to start this conversation off with. This isn't our first time meeting though. Well, no, you're right. It isn't. You were one of my kids at PFL. Well, was that one of your kids though? You were. Yeah. How old are you? I'm 44. Oh, 44. Yeah. So I wasn't in. I was in PFL, but I was in it. Like I was yeah. the third class. I was the first class. Yeah, you were the first class. Right. So when so, I was in it, you, you, your class was. That was your last time there. But we were counselors. We were like, um, I don't. Were you a counselor though? I though? was for for a few summers. Like, but I thought that shit was like. Forgive me. I curse. So Are you okay yeah, that's that? fine. I curse sometimes too. Um, so like Keyshawn. It was me, Keyshawn, Danielle Brown. Danielle Brown, I remember. Um, who else? Uh, Mikey Michaels. But I thought just like Millersville students were, or Millersville students were. were I was scouting. a Millersville student. Okay. I got I got locked up when I was a sophomore in college. No, it's all good. I just always remembered you as uh, in was, the program was, as a student. No, I was an English major at Millersville, full scholarship through the PACE program. Got you. Yep. And then my sophomore year, I decided to take a semester off to open up a club. And at the age of uh, 19 going on 20, I owned a club called The Oz. Okay. And, and then I opened up another club called The Jelly Bean. And mind you, at the time, I was... This is at 19 years old? Selling a lot of drugs, too. Okay. A lot of drugs, bro. How did the how did this okay let's let's start let's start over okay. real quick because there's a lot there's a lot I want to unpack there's a here there's a lot yeah there's but a let, lot but let, let's start with PFL okay um because the reason why I want to bring that up is is because I don't talk to many people that know of it right which is weird because there's mad people that went through the program correct and every time I bring it up I bring it out to my wife or, mm -hmm. or fr friends and I'm like I explain the program I'm like yeah they're like that's dope but I never heard of it so. Right. Project Forward League, um, I spoke about this recently, how that's where I personally got hip to like hip hop culture right. was when I was exposed. Growing up, uh, I grew up in Lang, but I went mm -hmm. to Buchanan, I went mm -hmm. to Wheatland. Right. And so I'm, I'm interested in your perspective because having so many black and brown inner city youth right. um, with some white kids too, but predominantly oh, yeah. it was black and brown kids. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the counselors, it was mm -hmm. the youth, it was... Yep. I was like immersed in this culture. Right. I do remember you from there. Right. And I have a a memory. I don't know if you remember this. Okay. But we um that we would go play basketball at McComsey Hall. Was it McComsey right. Hall? McComsey Hall. Yeah. And uh I remember watching y'all play. I was pretty good. <laughs> but I remember you falling and hitting the floor. Okay. And like you cracked your head good. Yep. And you got up yeah. pissed and you like punched or kicked the the, the, the door yeah yeah okay and yep. that for bro i'm not lying for like 30 some years that memory has always yeah. lived in my head yeah. i remember uh there was a guy named Dwayne. we used to call him whack and he fouled me really hard okay and instead of hitting him i got you i, I remember like it was yesterday I hit the, yeah i hit the door and walked out of the gym yep hurt my hand i'll never forget it yeah yeah talk to me about your experience with pfl how'd that come about you so pfl uh, like I said, we're the original. We were the original yeah. class to start it. Yeah, I think it was probably like I can't remember the exact number, but it was probably like ten of us, maybe. And um, you know, they interviewed us. They uh, we went through a whole process, and we got accepted into this program, PFL Project Forward Leap. And I think, in many ways, it saved me from getting in trouble earlier 
Yeah. Because, uh, you know, summertime, you're out in the streets, you're doing stuff. Every summer from fourth grade all the way up to I graduated from high school, I was involved with PFL and yeah. also Upper Bound. I don't know if you remember Upper Bound, but Upper, upper Bound, yeah. So from PFL, I went to Upper Bound, but I was, I, every summer I, also, I would uh, go to Upper Bound for a month and then for another month I would work for PFL after we finished the program. But it was an amazing experience to take inner city kids and put them on a college campus for five weeks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just the field trips. Yep. And yeah. Yeah. They paid us. Yeah. You know, we paid, we got, and we got paid decent. I forgot that. They paid they us, They would give bro. you money to spend. Yeah. Bro, I would stash that money. I wouldn't even, like, I would save that money. And then they gave us jobs after that, which was great. And they paid us well for that. I remember we got paid pretty good. Okay, uh, so I don't know about the job. So that was what you, is that where the counseling for you came correct, in? Correct, correct. Yep. After um, after we graduated from the program, okay, um, we, they hired a few of us as counselors. Okay. So uh, we watched over you guys. Yeah. Um, yep, and uh, a great experience. Uh, put us ahead of the class for yep. the next school year. Yep, that's what I tell everybody. Because we, you know, we were taking like difficult courses over the but summer. But we were like walking the campus. Though. Right. Which yeah. was, I think, like, I don't think I understood how dope of an experience it was when I was in it. Right. I went through a lot of homesickness. Right. I wasn't. Me it too. was my first time being away from home. Right. But looking back now, I was like, what a fucking wonderful experience. It was. Like, you, we, I, I tell my wife, like, we walked the campus. We stayed on the dorms. Ate in the cafeteria. Ate in the cafeteria. Yeah. Food was amazing. Yeah. You know, we could eat as much as Three we wanted. Three times a day. Swimming pool and yeah, basketball. Yep, yep. And, you know. And, um. Yeah, that, def- that definitely was an amazing, uh, big shout out to Dr. Allen. Yes. Who's still here, still around. He's that's, a, uh, a lawyer. Awesome. Okay. So um, I'm really big on mentorship. And not re- and looking, I'm just thinking about this now, but the people, the adults, even the teachers, you know, Dr. Allen, uh, Doris Cross, Mr. Redman, okay. uh, yeah. these were the people that were in charge. And uh, rest in peace. Uh, Doris Cross, who passed away a few years gotcha. ago, um, she was very close, uh, very close mentor, friend of mine. Um, she passed away, but um, yeah, overall, it was just an incredible experience. They took us off the streets, bro, and yeah. put us on a college campus and prepared us for life um, and the bonds and the friendships. Yeah, I'm still friends with a lot of people that. Um, That's what's up. Yeah, and I, we started in fourth grade. You know, so yeah. But see, but see I together. started. I started mine after my sixth grade. Okay, which is uh, that's how I remember it. Is the the summer going into the seventh mm-hmm. year is when I went. Right. So summer of for seventh and then eighth and then ninth. Right. It may have been earlier than that, but that's just how I'm remembering it. Yeah, I think I went in my going into fifth grade. Okay, mm-hmm. and that was fifth, sixth, seventh. Yeah, and then eighth grade. I went into upper bound. Okay, so when you started, you were you were part of the first class. Like Correct. when I went, I saw all three grades mm-hmm. patrolling the campus. Right. But when right. you went, it was just your grade. We were the guinea pigs. Okay, so you saw the transgression, the transition, the transition. Right. Of you, you saw it growing. Right. And then even after I became an adult. And was no longer involved. Uh, did they spread out to like Villanova? See that that I don't yeah, remember. They, so that was after me. Yeah, then. it was Millersville, and then I believe it was Villanova had another uh, class in Villanova. I don't know why it ended though. That's sad. And I know it was, that was maybe somewhat like eight, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. It, it, I think it, the funding wasn't yeah, there anymore. But the fact that it went on that long, 
Just imagine the the money they spend on us. My I mean, Lord. at one point, I think we had probably a couple hundred kids. Yeah, easy, easy. And that I mean, just you know, as an adult now, look how I look at my kids, and mm-hmm. the first thing I think of my wife, especially, is right. like, what are we going to do to keep them busy? Right. There's so nothing. yeah, it's like there's always something. There's a but yeah, I remember the 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 good times mm-hmm. and just meeting different people. Right. There's so many times that I have like a, a memory that hits me mm-hmm. differently as I get older. Right. Um, so like I said, it was dope to hear somebody be like, I remember you from PFL because yeah. I know maybe one other person, which is Reverend Shana Watson, right. that I went there with. We were I in remember, the same I know grade. Shana. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yep. Um, I appreciate you bringing that up, man. I yeah. had to start there. Do you remember my sister, Nina? I know of your sister. I think we met Del her Valle. Husband, is her husband which which sister are we talking so about? So it's Veronica and Nina. I'm Ver- no Veronica. Okay, Veronica's with Angel. Yeah, Nina was in Project Forward Leap also. I might and I think I you might get, remember no, if I see you're her. older than her. She's uh, 37 or 38. Okay, yeah. So then now yeah, was but she was in the program too. Yeah, but that's cool. That's cool. So you had is it just you and your sister then that were in the program. Yes. Did all of your siblings get a, a shot to the beginning? Because they interviewed you. Yes, they interviewed us. And um, Veronica, uh, she's in the middle. She didn't go to PFL. She okay. Yeah, she um, yeah, she didn't. She didn't go that route. Yeah, I I love the the when family would come visit. Mm-hmm. Um, family day. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the field trips, you brought that up, and I mean, I forgot they paid us. They would give you money. I Allowance. remember. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I remember. Uh, we had to get our rooms clean. Correct. And that uh, who was the dude that with the beard? Uh, the, the the fellow with the beard. Mario. He walked. He would walk the. It was a white guy. Oh. He walked the halls to check the rooms. I forget. Mm. I forget. He was a, a somewhat of importance or leadership in some right. sort of way there i can't remember a white guy yeah well yeah it was a white dude had a beard yeah and, i would have to see him and he i remember him walking going into he's like you were in boot camp in right, a way right. and they would check the room sheets check. Room yeah check. room to check get yeah. the cobwebs under yeah. the bed make sure your rooms were clean yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but oh, that was structure that it was structure. that the youth needed at that right. time we had to do our own laundry yo yeah we had to do our own laundry and, and you know, hood kids, we figured out. <laughs> did you? We figured out a way where you could push the thing, you know, to put your coins in, and you push it in real slow, and you hear a little click, and then you get your coins, and back. then you pull it back, <laughs> and the machine started, and I, Some, I, I, would, I would save my quarters. Something like that is familiar to me, bro. <laughs> hey, you can't. Hey, you could, you know, we could, you could take us out the hood, but you can't take the hood out. Right, of us, right. You know what I mean, I got this one memory from PFL real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Scranton, no, is this Scranton Hall? No, no, Scranton Hall. What's the hall that so was, was right across Gage, from the dining room? It was Gage. It was Harbold. Harbold. Right. Okay, I was in Harbold. Right. In the rec area downstairs. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, this story always trips me out because at that time I didn't realize how unique it was. Right. But you know, at some point in the day, they let you do whatever you want. Right. A lot of freedom. <clears throat> a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. And so I was down there by myself in that rec room mm-hmm. playing piano. There's a piano down there. Right. And I'm playing the piano. I'm by myself. <clears throat> and the room, the the your back is towards the door. Right. You know what I mean? You're facing the wall. And I'm playing. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm just messing around. Mm-hmm. But I play these notes, and all of a sudden, all these people start clapping. Mm. I turn around, and no one's there. Yo, I'm like literally. Right. 
it was like a clap where it scared me. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I immediately was like, oh, what, like y'all were watching me. I think that I think some of them places were haunted. Bro, bro, as I get older, I'm like, no, I heard clapping. Right. Like many people like trying to bust my chops like, right. ah, look at you. Right. And I turn around and nobody was there. And now that I think about it, some weird stuff used to go on in those. Uh, I can't remember like specific incidences but now that you say that yeah i remember us as kids saying that the the, the place so, was haunted really yeah yeah i never had experiences but that except for that one yeah yeah there was some some stuff going on but yeah, <laughs> yeah man pfl the good old days if the anybody's days. watching this and was down with pfl yeah give us give us a shout yeah, out yeah man yeah. Uh, comment on that when i start sharing this episode pfl uh, alumni where you at wow yeah that was for me i guess it was like 90 91 yeah around there yeah, i was like 85 86 yeah. or something like that that's what's up man yeah so so let's use this now as our segue then because right. you started to talk about um sophomore year in college correct um you took the summer to open up not one but two yep. clubs or eventually it was two clubs yep so uh, just to back up a little bit i moved to lancaster in 1984 okay okay where are you from i'm originally from new york okay the bronx um my mom and stepdad my sister and i um decided to move from new york the bronx to uh lancaster because my grandfather uh, Lili Pagan, Francisco Pagan, uh, opened up the first Spanish restaurant in Lancaster. Okay. So, yes, called El Deportivo. Okay. After the restaurant was on East End Avenue, right across from Garden Court. Gotcha. A, Can you pull that a little closer it's to a, you, bro? It's a little laundromat now. Um, so my mom wanted a better life for us. You know, New York was rough. Um, and we decided to uh, move to PA, to Lancaster, and... Um, I was six years old, so I was first grade when I moved to Lancaster. So growing up, good kid. Yeah. Um, very social, very active, loved being outside. Started playing basketball when I was like 10 or 11. Uh, used to live on Orange Street right across from Reservoir Park. Yeah. And uh, yeah, okay. fell in love with basketball. So um, was always very athletic, uh, did good in school. And then around the age of uh, 13 or 14, probably like closer to 14, started experimenting with weed. Okay. Started smoking. And um, just like any drug, it became an addiction. Sure. And to support that addiction, I started hustling. Got you. All my, I, I don't have any, uh, my brothers are from my dad's side, so I don't really know my brothers, but my mom has seven brothers, my uncles. And all of them in some way, shape, or form were in the streets, either as addicts, you know, drug dealers. I had an uncle that was a pimp. And these were my role models. Yeah. So um, I was always attracted to the street life. And uh, like I said, about 14, bought my first half ounce, bagged it up, hit the block, and fell in love with making money Yeah, early. And I've always been the type to give 120% in everything I do. Sure, yeah, yeah. So I really led a double life, still doing good in school, played ball for McCaskey, you know, got that full scholarship to Millersville. But financially, I was uh, selling drugs. So by the time I was 19, they used to call me the one-stop shop, bro. For it real? went from weed to pills. Okay, I got you. Coke, heroin. Even at one point, I was selling guns. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was heavy. I thought I was Scarface or something. Because yeah. 
it was crazy. But um, never thought I would get caught. You know, my family was always telling me, hey, John, you got to chill. Because your family was aware of what you were doing. Right. Very aware. They, you know, see the money, the cars. I'm a kid. Yeah. And, um, but I thank God I got a family that never uh, judged me or loved me unconditionally. Like, my mom's a G. Like, gotcha. even when I got caught up, I'll tell you that story, too. But Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so, I opened up the clubs. Um it was what, like uh, January 4th, I got locked up. So probably the summer before that, I'm sitting in the club about 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, I decided to stop selling the hard stuff, well, heroin, coke, the guns, because a lot of my friends were getting locked up. And they had come out with a law called weed and seed, Okay. where if you got caught with a gun, and no matter what amount of drugs, you can get caught with a, you know, an ounce or, you know, eight ball or something and get mandatory 15 years so a couple of my boys got hit with that and i was like man if i get caught i'm gonna go i'm gonna go down so i started selling a drug that just hit the scene and that drug was ecstasy okay so um now the kids call it molly but uh so i started getting in ecstasy i never forget Is that it. the same shit it's it's supposed to be the same stuff. That's how ignorant I am to that shit. Like, right. I know of Molly. So X. ecstasy was actually legal at one point. It's it's MDMA. That's the uh, the scientific name for ecstasy. They actually used to uh, prescribe it to couples they were having trouble being intimate. Wow. So then they made it illegal. Um, I never forget the first day I w- uh, first time I bought it. I went to New York with my boy. We we're supposed to buy a pound of weed. I went to my connect. He said, "Hey, try this out." He gave me fifty pills. We went back home. At that time, we were this was before the club. Uh, we were throwing parties, and uh, we threw a house party, bro. We stood up for three days straight, partying. We would go home, shower, come back, party, go home, shower, come back, party. And I sold the pills for twenty dollars a pill, and I was getting them for like two dollars, three dollars. Wow! So I was like, woo, you know, sure. cha-ching. And um, so I started off with fifty, went back, got a hundred, you know, flipped that. Went back, got 200. Before you know it, I'm buying 2,000 pills a week. Wow. But now I have the club. Two clubs at that. But the after hours club, I, w- I would make, you know, 10 grand a week, 15 grand a week profit at the age of 19, 20. So I think I'm on top of the world. You know, I'm making all this money. You know, I got these business. I wasn't even old enough to drink yet, bro. Yeah. So uh, one night I'm sitting in the club in VIP. I'll never forget it. Seat just like this. Girl to the left of me, girl to the right of me, bottle more wet. I'm just looking around like I'm the man. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, somebody kicked in the doors. Boom. Kicking the doors. Guys breaking the windows. They're coming in through the windows. And I'm sitting there watching it. Now, mind you, I'm lit. Like, lit. Gotcha. You know, all ecstasied up, drunk, high. It was like a movie. The club was long and narrow. They're coming towards me. All I hear is, where's Johnny Vega? Where's Johnny Vega? So my security picks me up, bro. They came in through the front door, took me through the back door, threw me in the back of a car, and took off. But you saw them coming in. Saw them coming in. Wow. They, they didn't bother to hit the back door. Gotcha. So I go through the back door with my guys. We drive off. Now I'm on the run. My whole life changed in Just an instant. Like yep. So I'm thinking it's local, local police. Next day... Uh, federal agents go to my apartment, go to my grandmother's house, my mom's house, even a stash house that I had. Where's Johnny Vega? Gave my mom their card, tell him to call us. He needs to turn himself in. 
So I have no idea what's going on. Uh, my mom calls me. She's crying. Baby, you got to turn yourself in. You know, it's better if you turn yourself in. And I'm like, Mom, they're going to have to come get me. Mm-hmm. I'm not turning myself in. I don't know what's going on. So um, a couple months go by. I'm on the run. I still have to provide for myself financially, so I'm still selling drugs. I end up, <laughs> funny, my mom's like, all right, this is the plan. This is the, the, my mom, the G. It's before she got saved. She says it's BC, <laughs> BC <laughs> before Christ. <laughs> so uh, she goes, baby, I got a plan. You're gonna, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, we're going to take you down to Florida. From Florida, we're going to take you to the Dominican Republic. Dominican Republic, we're going to change your fingerprints and wow. give you a whole new, a whole new uh, uh, yeah identity. Identity. I'm like, oh man. So did you did you entertain that? I did, but instead of going to Florida, guess where I go? Where you go? York, Pennsylvania, right over the bridge. Why York? I don't know. It's close to home. <laughs> I, I I started getting money in York, so now I'm driving back and forth from York to Lancaster. Still getting money in Lancaster. Got an apartment in York. So uh, one day I go to Lancaster to pick up. I'll never forget it. Five pounds of weed. My boy's supposed to drop it off. I'm on the run. I'm on this. I'm in, you're, you're very familiar with Lancaster, right? Yeah. So I'm at the end of Prince Street. Yeah. So I'm at the end of Prince Street waiting in this, in this girl's house. And at the time, they had yellow shirts. I don't know if you remember the yellow shirts. Yeah. I remember Task Force. Shirts. Yeah. So uh, she goes, um, I'm sitting there waiting for the weed to come. Little did I know that the guy that I was buying the weed from was setting me up. So she looks out the window and she's like bro cops are sitting in front of the house so i look out the blind and i see four big white guys in a car and they all have yellow shirts on and i'm like oh my you already know at that point right so i see them another car pulls up another car pulls up i'm like it's about to go down they're about to rush this house and get me so i'm like i call the dude that i'm supposed to buy the weed from I'm like, bro, I'm, you know, something's going on. I'm out. He's like, no, no, wait, wait. I'm, I'll be right there in a couple minutes. So, okay. So I'm like, hang up the phone, and I go through the back door and through her yard. So I'm on foot. As I'm walking through the backyard, bro, I see this little head pop up from behind a wall and then pop back down. So I'm nervous as heck. Um, so you're familiar with Lanc- uh, Lancaster. So I cut through her backyard. I end up on Beaver Street. Okay. So I'm walking up Beaver Street. You know how narrow Beaver Street yeah. is. So I'm walking up Beaver Street, and I see one person walking towards me. So now I have to make a decision. Do I run? Yeah. You know, I've been on the run for a while now. Do I just get this over with? So I cross the street. Now, mind you, it's a little street. I cross the street. He crosses the street. I cross back. Okay. He crosses back. So, right. But we're walking towards each other. Yeah. So he gets up on me, and it's a cop dressed in black. He puts his hand, hand on my chest, and he says, what's your name? So I'm just looking at him, thinking in the back of my mind, it's a rap. I'm about to go to jail. I don't even know what for. Um, he goes, what's your name? And I go, now this is, I apologize, bro. But I say, my name's Marcus Tirado. <laughs> I, grew, Marcus Tirado. I grew up with the twins, Mike yeah, and Mark. Yeah, I know the twins. Best friends forever. Yeah. We're still best friends to this day. We laugh about this all the time. But um, I said, Marcus Tirado. And at that time, we're so close that... Um, they lived on Old Dorward Street. Okay, okay. So he's like, um, I give him the name. What's your address? I can't remember the exact address now, but da-da-da, Old Dorward. He calls it in. Yeah, that's not the guy we're looking for. So he's like, hold on. 
So I'm like, so I'm like trying to remain calm. Yeah, yeah, But at yeah, the same yeah. time, I'm like, shh, I'm about to go to jail. Yeah. So um, another car pulls up. This time it's a white guy in plain clothes. He gets out the car. He's like, is this the guy we're looking for? And he's like, I don't know. He gave me his name. It came back good. <clears throat> and um, yeah, he says his name's Marcus Torado. So <clears throat> the cop's like, well, we'll just take him back to the prick sink and run his fingerprints. All right, so it's over. So the, you know how cops do. Sit me down on the curb. Yeah. They're waiting for the uh, regular cop car to pull up. And I pull, the, I pull the race card on him. I said, man, this is bullshit. You know, I'm going to call my lawyer. Uh, I already gave you my name. You know, um, you're just stopping me. Racial profile. I forget exactly what yeah. I said, but I gave it a shot. Yeah. And um, well, right? so I'm sitting there. And he goes, well, the guy that we're looking for has a tattoo, tattoos on his arms. So I'm like, oh. I had a button-down Nautica shirt and a Nautica hat matching. And uh, at that time, I can't show you now, but at that time I had one tattoo, and it was a Grim Reaper. Don't ask me where I got it, but it was a Grim Reaper wrapped with a Puerto Rican flag around it. Okay. So, okay. so I had a long sleeve shirt on. He says, roll up your sleeves and show me your tattoos. So I roll up my sleeves up to my elbows, and I flashed my arms, and I said, I don't have any tattoos. And rolled my sleeves back down. And they were they didn't So I'm sitting there. Sheesh. I'm sitting there. And then I don't know why he did it to this day, but I even seen this cop in the gym after I came home and, and apologized to him for lying. I don't know why I did it, but I just had to make amends with this dude. And he said, Get up and beat it. So I just like that, everything got awkward and quiet. I didn't ask no questions. I stood up, started walking. As soon as they were out of my sights, I, I mind you, I'm 20 years old and fast as lightning. Yeah. Booked it. Yeah. I run up Beaver, cut up to Queen. I see my boy on his porch smoking a cigarette. I said, bro, can I come in your house? He said, go ahead. Went in his house. He comes in after me after he's smoking a cigarette and asked me if I shot somebody. I said, what are you talking about? He said, they got all of Prince Street closed down with all these cops with your picture. Wow. So then I called my cousin who, I, who was out. They got your picture, but the dude. But the this day. was, they let me go, I guess, right before my. So at this point, they realized they, they it was screwed al- up. It was almost like, uh, it just hit me. You ever see the movie uh, with the guy where he's being interviewed and he's getting the story from the cups? and Oh, uh, uh, for, Usual Suspect? So remember half, after he left, the picture came up and he, and he was like, oh, man. I just let him go. So very similar to that situation. I guess my information, my picture came up probably minutes after I booked it. So now I'm still on the run. They let yeah. me. So six months go by, January 4th, 2000. I'm in York. Uh, still on the run. I have an apartment out there. It's a Friday. Uh, at that time, I had hair, and I was feeling good, making money. I was really killing it in York. So um, How much were you making, do you mind? Probably like 15, 20 grand a week. Yeah. It's a lot of dope, bro. Yeah. When they caught me, event, uh, finally caught me, I had $82,000 in my apartment and $7,000 in my pocket. My goal for that year was to stash $100,000, put it to the side, and then disappear. So I almost reached my goal. Yeah. But, you know, I got caught. So January 4th, Friday, I come out of the, this guy comes to my apartment, has no idea who I really am. Uh, I had given him some pills on credit. He paid me the money and asked for more pills. He left. 
he was he he set me up. So I leave the apartment, get in the car. We're driving. I have two guys driving. One guy driving. One guy in the front. I'm in the back, and we're driving. All of a sudden, we see this green van behind us, and it's following us close. So I tell him to make a left. The van makes a left. Tell him to make a right. The van makes a right. We're going up alleyways. Van still behind us. We get to a stop sign. The van pulls up, cuts us off. All these guys jump out of the van, guns drawn, screaming, get out the car, stop the car. The guy throws it in reverse, and spins it around, and takes off. Get out. Bro, they couldn't keep up on foot. Jump back in the van, start chasing us. <coughs> what were you thinking at that point? Were you like, what are you doing? No, I was like, drive. Got you. Go. So you were still like, even though, like, <laughs> were you always looking for like that angle? I, or was there I, ever a time... In that, in those moments that you explained, where you were, you mentioned a couple times, you're like, "This is it," right? But were you willing to be like, "This is it," or were you gonna? Not really. Yeah, you were gonna I, I find was, that. Angle. I was, I was planning on being on the run forever. Yeah, and I, I mean, that's crazy to say, but yeah, I was. But I guess in that, in that state, in that mind, that mindset at that time is Surpri- fight or flight, survival. Right. Even though it's wrong or right, no, whatever. Nobody wants to go to jail. Nobody wants to get locked up. Right. So. And I ain't kill nobody. I ain't hurt yeah, nobody. No, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, so chasing us, we got to a point where I didn't see the van anymore. So my plan was pull over. I'm gonna get out the car and keep going. They're gonna chase you. I'm gonna get off, get a, get away on foot. Yeah. He pulls over. I go to get out the car. Guess what happens, bro? You stumble upon them. child safety lock. No, in Child the door. safety lock. So I'm fumbling with the lock. You're trying to open uh, that door. Put down the window so I can put my arm out the window, open the door, look back. Guess who's behind us again? The van. The van. So I had about, uh, I always carried all my drugs on me. It was pills, so I can carry a lot. Yeah. So I had like 1,700 pills in my pocket. And then, like I said, I think it was like six or $7,000 in my other pocket. So I threw the pills and the, not the money. I had a, I had a 22 uh, Ruger that I always had on me. It was a little gun I used to carry it in my sock, yeah. you know, go in the clubs, put it in my boot. Yeah. Always stood with it, you know, a little six shot. And I threw the gun and the pills in the trash and got back in the car. Still kept the money on me. We take off. I don't know if you're familiar with York, but um, we got to Queen Street, which is just like Queen Street in Lancaster. Heavy drug block, you know, middle of the hood. About 10 cop cars converged on us. It was over. That was it. They told me to put my hands out the window. Put my hands out the window. um, Told me to get out the car. One of the cops came right up to my ear and said, Mr. Vega, your life's never going to be the same after this. And he was, and he was, uh, jamming the gun into the back of my head like hitting me and he kept on saying oh you want to run huh you want to run and he cut me i still have the scar right here so now it's like a scene out of a movie they cuffed me up i got blood all over my face blood all over my sweater put me in the back of the car took me down to the precinct they're giving each other high fives you know we got them and then um i was in york county prison for 11 months with no charges uh, my lawyer hit me up. He said, look, if they don't charge you within 12 months, they have to let you go. Why is that? So why are they holding you that long with no charges? Because I, I wouldn't cooperate. So okay. they had up to a year 
to charge me. So they. So go you home. were just mums the word, so to speak. You were right. talking. Right. So my connects, the people I, were, I was getting the drugs from, were all family, uncles, you know, yeah. family. Yeah. So telling on them wasn't really an option for yeah. me. One, they're stone cold killers. You know what I mean? So if I would have told, you know, now I got to worry about myself, my family, my mom. You know, they know where everybody lives at. And that just wasn't an option. Even when I told my lawyer I won't cooperate, he called me a tough guy. All right, tough guy. Yeah. And it's not about being tough, you know. It was this, a code. It's, it's Right. Yeah. This, this is the choices I made. I got to deal with the consequences. So, um, so 11 months go by. I think I'm going home. I get a letter in the mail. Vega, you got mail. All right, I got mail all the time. Family, friends. Um, all right, cool, got mail. So I look at it, it's from Harrisburg. And as I, when I open it up, it said United States government versus Johnny Vega. Mm. Mm. Which, a, well, how'd that feel when you saw woo, that? I, I just was like, oh, it's getting real now. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going home, you know. So I called my lawyer. He said, I got the same letter. They sent us both a copy. He said, I'm on my way up now. You're going to get a lawyer visit so we can go over everything. All right, cool. So he gets there. They call me, lawyer visit. I go to see him. He's still a really good friend of mine to this day. Um, the lawyer. The lawyer, yep. Espinosa. I don't know if you know Espinosa, but no. Spanish lawyer, yep. But you, you mentioned that a couple times real quick is mm-hmm. the whole uh, um, that you that you keep in touch or that you um, still know of. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the cop mm-hmm. that you apologized to. So I seen him at LA Fitness working out. This was after when? After I got home. How long had that? Was that for? So I got locked up in two thousand. Two thousand. I came home late two thousand eight, almost two thousand nine. So I saw him probably like somewhere around that time, like two thousand nine. Okay. And did he rem- remember you? Nope. Not and at I, all. And I would think that I would. I would I can understand that because I'm sure that he's seeing so many people that he's locking up. Right. But the fact that you still took it upon yourself, I'm assuming that was more of a conscious thing. It is. You, it yeah. was. It was. You needed to set some things straight. Right. How did he receive that? He uh, kind of laughed about it. He just laughed about it. He said, I do remember you. And um, he said, stay out of trouble. He said, stay out of trouble. You know, um, I had just spent almost a decade in, in prison. And he said, look, next time they're not going to play games with you. And even the judge, when I got sentenced, she said, if I ever see you again, we're going to start off at 15 years and work our way up. So he said, stay out of trouble. That's yeah. my best advice to you. And he said he appreciated the apology. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because that's a big thing to do, dog. Because right. a lot of people, and I don't speak of experience, I'm mm-hmm. just assuming. Right. That when they come home, mm-hmm. there there still may be some resentment, some anger, right. some there's that tough guy bravado right. is still prevalent. Right. So you are on the flip side. Where mm-hmm. was that right, right away from when you came home? You were like, I need to fix some things. Definitely, there was. Uh, I needed closure on a lot of stuff. Okay. Not only closure, but I hurt a lot of people. You know, just selling drugs. You know, I've always had this leadership quality about myself. And I, I, I took advantage of that. And I had young people selling drugs for me. I mean, I would sell dope to my uncle. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I didn't have a conscience. And when they sat me down, that's when it kicked in. Like, bro, like, you're selling poison to your people. You know, you're making money illegally. Like, you have no one to blame for this but yourself. And I, and I came to that conclusion and had an epiphany that I had to change the way I thought, the way I acted, and just be myself. Because I kind of... 
and we talk about culture and music and you know i was a, a jay-z i'm a hustler baby yeah uh uh product you know so yeah. i took that stuff to heart like uh even i can remember his lyrics you know uh uh, little mama taking ecstasy can't keep her pretty hands off me like that was real real to me like and and it's it's crazy because you see the progress that jay has made from because you know yeah he, he started off with you drug can money. relate to I the can relate to that not on the level that he's at no yeah but, but i mean the fact that there's this growth this growth from where you probably weren't expected to grow from right um right and and one of the things while you were telling your story, um, not your, yeah, your story, mm -hmm. your journey here mm -hmm. is, is I was thinking to myself that you mentioned a couple of times, like a, you mentioned something along, along the lines of like a movie, mm -hmm. that there's some things that presented itself like you would see in a movie. Right. When I asked you how much money you were making, you mm -hmm. said 15K. Mm -hmm. Did it? We're talking about back in two thousand, right? So, did it did it register with you? Like I knew, I know that you said you knew you were making money, but you were making money, right? Right. Where people don't make that much money mm -hmm. in in six months, correct? And you made it. You were making it in a week, right? So, right. like, did that? Did you understand the magnitude of like the money you were making, and what what are you going to do with it? Right. Not at all. I mean, my plan at the right before I got caught. I had things set up where I wanted, I got it off, I'll be honest with you, I got it off the movie Blow. Okay, Johnny Depp. The Johnny Depp, you know, George, Boston George. I said, I'm going to start setting up shop in different states. You know, I had people in Indiana, had people in Chicago. Oh, you did? I, that was the plan. That was the plan. Okay. Remember, now, mind you, I got caught January 4th. So I was just four years into the year, four days into the year, and my plan, that was my plan for that year. I'm gotcha. on the run. I'm going to just travel all over the place, set up shop in these different places, and just... What's the game plan when, you have a, when you're on the run and you have a mindset? Like, right. does it, are you ever like confronting yourself like, this is bullshit, I'm on the run? Right. It, 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 I, try not to I tried not to think about it too much. Yeah. My plan was to disappear at some point. You know, Canada, you know you know london something yeah i was gonna i was gonna because you're li you're limited to how you live your life right I, I wanted to start all over in another country yeah you were I, you were willing to do that yeah i was i was I, you know if i had i wanted to save enough money where my family could come visit me anytime they wanted and just start over somewhere else i was it was a fantasy but yeah that was the plan save up enough money where i could bounce so all this started when we started this conversation mm -hmm. you were talking about 19 mm -hmm. Uh, you get locked up. How old are you? Twenty. Okay, so this is within a year. Yes, all within a year. Okay. Yeah. What What I mean is the beginning of this is what I'm going to do to make money mm -hmm. to the point where you got caught. Right. Was within a year. Within a year. Yep. So, and I'm naive to this, but mm -hmm. is that were you? What was your? Not that I'm glorifying it. Right. But what was your? Your status? How were you recognized? Were you respected? I mean, very respected. Uh, what you were doing was mm -hmm. that heard of that fast here in Lank? No, because I I was one of the first ones. I, I've I've always been like the first or one of the first. So yeah. I was one of the first guys in Lancaster to sell ecstasy at that level. Because uh, most people, you know, buy a couple pills here and there, pay twenty twenty five bucks for a pill, and they party. Yeah, I was getting it for two dollars a pill. And I would, like, let's say, for instance, yo, you come up to Pearl, I want to make some bread. 
all right, buy 100 pills off me. I'll charge you $10 a pill. So hmm. I started wholesaling pills as well to anybody that wanted to sell them. Hmm. I'm making $2 if you buy, you know, I'm yeah. making 700 bucks every time you, you cop off me. Yeah. And that's just off of weight. And then I'm selling pills also for 20, 25 bucks. So I was making money both ways. And I, and I changed the game when it came to ecstasy in Lancaster. Then I spread out to York, Reading, Harrisburg. So, um, yeah, I was, I was selling a lot of pills, pills and weed. I was the pill and weed guy. Yeah. You said you were the one-stop shop. One-stop shop. Was that legit? Yeah. Okay, so that's what you were referred to as? Yeah, People one-stop. knew that they could get You can get, get anything from me, anything. And, and, and in that life, mm-hmm. is, that the, is that something that's like, let's kill two birds with one stone. This mm-hmm. is how we can make even more money. You can get everything from this one spot. Right. You've got the same customers. Right. You, don't, you, you got the same clientele, so to speak. Right. Um, is, that, is that the game plan for people that are, are trying to make money in that life? Is Yeah. I mean, it's supply, it's business, supply yeah. and demand. Yeah. Whatever the product was, if I can get a hold of it at a cheap price, I was, I was flipping it. Was there anything that you were like, nah, I don't, I'm not selling that shit? Well, I stopped selling heroin and Coke. And, okay. Uh, at one point, I was selling crack, and I, I stopped all that. Yeah. I, not to glorify ecstasy. No, absolutely. But people were happy <laughs> and laughing <laughs> and partying and having fun. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah. you know, it was a party drug. It, was, it wasn't, uh, you know, I mean, you can't get addicted to ecstasy and it's horrible for your health puts pinholes I, I had to stop taking ecstasy because i had so much and when i seen the uh a commercial or something about it putting pinholes in your brain i was like ah, wow i gotta stop like if i would take an ecstasy pill it was because it was a special occasion or like i could tell you some stories about yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. I, I i went to ocean city once uh for senior week Again, fifteen hundred pills. Yeah, I want. It was me and two white girls. We went up to uh, Ocean City for uh, senior week, and I was just walking the boardwalk. We had our own room, and you know how they have parties in the hotels and yeah. stuff. Yeah, I would send the girls into the parties, find out who needs pills, come back. I give you the pills, and uh, you know. So you saw, I left the beach. Yeah, that probably with like over twenty grand in my pocket. But you're going to senior week with uh, and I. The mentality that this is an opportunity to make money. Yeah, right. Not so much Party. enjoy senior week. Mm-mm. Senior week was not. It was not the same for Johnny Vegas. Nah, not at all. Wow. So Funny story though. Two guys came with us. We're ready to go, and uh, the one guy was so drunk that I told him to go to the car and wait for us. So we're packing up. Two white girls, a couple of my boys. Um, he goes down to the car. Sits in the car and falls asleep. All right, cool. We're done packing. We're ready to leave. He's in the car. The door is the car is locked. Knock on the window. Knocked out cold. No. Slumped over. Yeah. We're shaking the car. He's like this. Oh man. Won't wake up. Look up the boardwalk. Guess who I see riding on his bike? Cop. Cop. So I immediately kind of step back into the crowd. Yeah, 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 yeah. He comes up. Hey, what's up? Our friend is now. This I'm watching from from the, from a distance. I'm watching this cop go up to my boys and see what's wrong with this my other homie that was in the okay, car. okay. So I'm watching now. Like, oh my goodness! Now, mind you, I had 200 pills left. It was a rental car uh, where the light is on the roof. Okay, yeah. We pulled that down and put the pills in there. 
Okay. okay. So I'm like, oh my goodness, it's about to go down. Cops. Now the cop is helping us. It's a joke. Now. <laughs> it, it's, it's a joke now because everybody's looking. Yeah. Everybody's laughing. Ah, yeah. The guy's drunk. But you know. But I know there's 200 pills in the, in the, in the uh, car. So I'm like, wow. So uh, he finally wakes up. He wakes up. You know, he's not driving or anything. He's not in trouble. You know, he's drunk, of course. And now, now there's a couple cops helping. One of the cops put his flashlight into the car and there was a half a blunt in the ashtray. So now it goes from them laughing and helping them out. And mind you, I'm still watching this all yep. go down. They don't yep. even know I'm with them. Gotcha. Now they're searching the car. Boom. They bring the dog. Wow. Bring the dog. Because they're looking for drugs. Dog is going crazy. Doesn't find the pills. So they impound the car. Arrest the dude that was in the, in the uh the drunk guy, take the car to the precinct. Next day, I gotta bail this dude out. They didn't say anything about the pills. We pick up the car. Pills are still in the car. They never found them. They never found them. And we drive back to Lancaster. Crazy. What was? <laughs> was your heart in your throat? Yeah, because I'm waiting for. You know, I'm here to bail them out. I bailed them out, so I'm waiting for them to just arrest me. Yeah. So I'm nervous, but I got to get this dude out, you know, so he only got charged with half a blunt and we drive home. As soon as we start driving, I pull the thing down, pills are still in there. I leave them up there and we head back to Lancaster. Was there at any point, because the first thing that came to mind was like, dude, had you not been asleep, exactly, we would have been gone. Right. Were right. you like I ain't mess with that dude ever again? You, yeah, <laughs> hey, he jeopardized my freedom that day, yeah, uh, uh, and I didn't want him to get in trouble either. Yeah, if they would have found the pills, he would have got charged with them. Now we're just talk, we're talking about a whole different situation now. Yeah, you know, it's my it's, those are my drugs. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It didn't go down like that, but gotcha. So yeah, just let crazy. me get the let me get a, a quick refill real quick. Okay. Let me drink the rest of this while I'm up. I'm gonna take a glance in this camera. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Doing good? Yeah, I'm feeling great, bro. Kind of reminiscing a little bit, taking me back to stuff I haven't thought about in a while. <clears throat> One of the things that I was thinking about mm -hmm. also is... Um, how easily you can be blinded by the the sense of power, right? But it's understandable, right? 
I mean, power is addicting. Yeah, I mean, even even in a I don't even know if it's possible, but in a good, healthy scenario where mm. somebody is um, able to control the situation and move right. things along, there's this sense there's there's an attractiveness. Mm-hmm. To people looking at you right. a certain way, so I can only imagine when you couple that with money, mm-hmm. women, the right. access to things that the average person doesn't have. Correct. You're in prison. Mm-hmm. Are you okay talking about prison? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I talk about nine, it all the time. Nine, eight, nine years. Okay. How how was that for you? Did that go fast? Did that go slow? So um, the federal system's just a whole different experience. So. Um, I got sentenced. Uh, I was facing 25 years in jail. I, jail. I ended up pleading out to 120 months, which is 10 years. Gotcha. In the federal system, you do 80% of your time. So I had to do eight years. I already had, like I said, about a year in. They counted that towards my sentence, so I had to do seven more years. So I'm, you know, going on 21 now. So my lawyer said, hey, you'll be home before you're 30. Yeah. You know, you're still young, you, you know, just get through this and you'll have a second opportunity at life. That was so easy for him to say. But sure. in the back of my mind, I'm like, bro, yeah, I'm about to spend prime time in jail, yeah. like all of my 20s. Yeah. So I got sentenced. They sent me, they put me on transit. So from Harrisburg, uh, you ever seen the movie Con Air? Yeah, a long time, yeah. I was on Con Air, bro. For real? They put me on a plane. So the way the feds work... <laughs> The way the feds work. Picturing what? Uh, Nicholas Cage yeah, with the mullet. Yeah. <laughs> so picture me without the mullet. So, uh, <laughs> so the way the feds work is when they drop you off at your jail, they pick up all these other inmates and they drop them off all over the country at their jails. So the, the federal system's the United States. Yeah. Like fair enough. You know, it's I, I all, got I got locked up in PA, but there's no there's no guarantee that they'll put you in a PA jail. They can send you to Minnesota, okay. South Carolina, you know. So the first jail they sent me to was in Oklahoma. So I got on this flight. They woke me up. Hey, where am I going? You'll find out when you get there. Wow. So you didn't even know where you were going. Didn't know where I was designated. Um, all I knew was I, I had to go to a medium uh, security jail. In the feds, you start off high, and it's a point system. As you behave yourself, your points drop. Okay. And so from a medium, I went to a low. From a low, I went to a camp. But transit, the way it works, I was in Oklahoma for a year and a half. You know, like I said, Con Air shackled with a paper jumpsuit on. It was December, bro. Ooh. It was December. They had us on the uh, where the plane lands, the tarp. The uh, they had us standing there on the runway. On the runway, bro, with federal marshals surrounding us. We're shackled at our feet, shackled on our hands with a paper jumpsuit on with nothing underneath it. It's probably like 20-something degrees out. Bro. So I'm stand, we're standing there, freezing our, literally freezing our balls off. Mm. They put us on this plane, and the plane pulls up to this jail in Oklahoma, right to the jail. The back of the, jail, the, back of the plane opens up. They walk you out straight into the jail. Jeez. So now I'm in Oklahoma surrounded by like 800 Mexicans. <laughs> Like, and I had, you know, tattoos. Yeah. I, I was working out for like a year, so I'm kind of diesel. And I had these Mexican, oh, what set you claim homes? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm from Lancaster. I don't, I don't claim nothing. Like, yeah. 
Um, and the way it works there is like there are all these little and nothing against Mexicans or anything, but you know they're small in stature. Yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah, I got you. you could on one on one you could probably win the fight. Yeah, but once you beat him up, you got two hundred of his, <laughs> you know, manitos ready to kill you, <laughs> literally. And um, so I was there and just kind of <laughs> jail the way jail. I don't and like you said, I don't glorify jail or the experience. Yeah, I get it, but. When I, when, you know, different jails that I've been to, I've gotten advice from, you know, guys that were already there. And they said, hey, if you're looking for trouble, you're going to find it. Mm. The way you carry yourself, you know, if you were in Spanish, it's called a guía. If you walk around with the guía, like I'm the man, somebody's going to test you. Yeah. So I just remained humble, kind of kept to myself, um, got involved with church. You know, started going to church. Um, that was early on for you? Yeah, early on. Um, my whole perspective on religion has changed. But at that time, I, you know, God was the only thing I had. Yeah. So I prayed a lot, read my word a lot, you know, got involved. I was even in the gospel choir in jail. You know what I mean? Like, but um, became close with those brothers. And I've always been um, like jail segregated. You got your Spanish okay. guys, white yeah, sure. guys, black guys. But for some reason, I don't know if it, 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 it's a gift for me that I get along with people. Yeah. You know, even, I mean, for the last four years, my, my bunkie was a Hell's Angel from really? Boston. Yeah, Biker Dan, hardcore white guy. But we got to know each other and became cool. And, you know, people used to look at me funny, but I was like, this guy's a thorough dude. Yeah. You know, and so I didn't, I never really felt in, fell into that you know, separation thing. Matter of fact, I was one of the guys that kind of tried to bring everybody together. And, um, yeah, it was a crazy experience. So I was in nine different jails, four different states. Okay, I was about to ask. So you weren't there the whole time. No. From Oklahoma, you went to where? Atlanta. From Atlanta, I was there for about another year. And then they took me uh, Fort Dix, which is in New Jersey, and then Allenwood, which is in Pennsylvania. Uh, I was in a few county jails, Harrisburg, uh, I mean, Dolphin County, Lancaster County, York County. And then my last uh, three and a half, four years, they took uh, I was in Schoolkill, which is right outside of uh, Minersville. And that was a federal camp. OK, uh, it's a privilege to get to a to camp. That was about to say you broke that down. Right. So, so uh, there was no fence. OK. Like there was only two COs on on staff for like I think it was like 800 inmates. So basically the only time you had to be somewhere was either at your job or like if you were taking class. Other than that, you roamed around freely. They had a track, you know, um, you could lift weights, uh, different uh, activities. I worked in the kitchen. Okay. When I first got there. Cooking? I yeah, mean, cooking. Was, uh, Actually, I was a baker. Okay, I, I okay. Baked for Did they cooking. assign stuff for you to so, do? So, funny story. So, I get there. The way jail works, I'm from Lancaster. If there's other guys from Lancaster there, automatically, once you get there, Word gets out, hey, there's another guy from Lancaster here. Okay. So all the guys from Lancaster come to right. you. Hey, first they check if you're cool, if you're thorough. Check your paperwork, make sure you're right. And then... Who's checking the paperwork? Who do you mean? So they call it a, a paperwork party. So The inmates? The inmates. How do they get that information? So you're not supposed to have it. Right. But you have it. Got you. Right. Okay. So, so they I mean, got their ways of getting right. that info. Either through mail or, you know, through a visit. Maybe somebody sneaks you your paperwork. But And when you say they're checking to see if you're thorough, forgive me, I, but you you mean? If you're a snitch. Okay. Right. So um, checked out my paperwork. Everything was good. So now they embrace you and bring you in. Got you. And I was already a, 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 
well-known person in Lancaster, you know, well-respected. So it's like, oh, Johnny's here. Okay, you know? okay, yeah. So um, older cats, younger, you know, but there was a small group of people from Lancaster. Boom. My boy tells me, bro, if you want uh, to do all right here, either get a job in the kitchen or get a job in Unicor. Unicor is an actual uh, factory that they have on in the jail where they make furniture and they pay you like five cents an hour gotcha. or something like that. But that's a high paying job in jail. Like, you know, so I didn't go that route. I went to the kitchen. As soon as I get to the kitchen. Now there's bad COs that I've come across. There's straight dickheads. And then there's a couple COs, maybe a handful in the whole time I was locked up. They were pretty thorough, pretty cool guys. Yeah. So I'll never forget them. This guy named Myrick, black CEO from down South. Uh, I go to the kitchen. He's in charge of the kitchen. He comes up to me. And he has a southern accent. He's like, "What up, dog?" Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, you know, Larry, like, <laughs> like you're a CEO, bro. Like, yeah, yeah. you tested me. Yeah, this is yeah, a test. Yeah. So he's like, "Do you know how to bake?" And I'm like, "Nah, I don't know how to bake." So he's like, "Good, because you'll be easy to teach. Mm. You're our new baker." I said, like, "I never baked in my life." He said, "I'm gonna show you everything you need to know about bacon." Mm. So now I'm the head baker. Making, I think it was $120 a month, which mm. was like top dollar yeah. in jail. But I've always been a hustler, bro. I don't know what it is about me, but so get comfortable in the kitchen. One day I make, uh, Myrick was like, because uh, I made fresh bread and I made myself a sandwich, a sub. And he was like looking at the sub. He's like, hey, it looks pretty good. Can you make me one? I was like, yeah, I make you made him a sub. And he's like, hey. <laughs> If you ever want to make a couple extra subs, you can make them, take them back to the, uh, take them back to the building, and you can sell them if you want to. And I'm just looking around like, that's is, what's up. Is this though. guy trying to set me up? Yeah. So, give me an inch, I take a mile. Before you know it, I'm making twenty, thirty subs. You know, uh, you know, NFL Sundays, Mondays. I'm yeah. taking orders. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm making. They had these big grills. I used to make fried rice. There used to be white rice that we used to make. And the extra white rice, I used to make fried rice with it. Take a trash bag full of white uh, fried rice back to the dorms. And guys used to line up at my cell with bowls. Bro. Scoop the rice into the bowl. That would be two tunas. Tunas were money. Okay. Currency. So, And then they also used the tunas for gambling. So a case of tunas, 12 bucks. Right? Johnny got a locker full of tunas i'll buy a case off of them for 10 bucks so now they're using that for money it got to a point where i was selling so much stuff that instead because you know i used to hey buy me this on commissary give me a pair of sneakers give me a pair of sweatpants it got to a point i'm there for years i don't need anything yeah 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 so i would run uh credit with guys hey this is my information have your family send this money to my family you know 100 bucks 150 bucks whatever I'll never forget it. I'm at a visit with my mom, and she's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? She says, you haven't asked me for anything in years. No money, nothing. You send me money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> you know, save it. You know, yeah. take half of it for yourself and save the rest and for, for when I come home. And she did that for four years, and I had money saved up when I came home from jail. Jeez. Yeah. So, so that got, hustler we, mentality that you mentioned. Right. 
is a natural thing for you. It's a natural thing for me. This ability to be like, uh, there's an opportunity here. But you also got a good lookout from your CEO. Correct. And you mentioned that there, there's some dickheads, and but there were some that were mad cool. But oh, it yeah. seemed like, I mean, that's a that's a huge lookout. Like, there, right. he didn't have to do At that. All. So he when, just, you, when you see a CEO doing that, though, is that mm-hmm. like, when you get past the, okay, you're cool, mm-hmm. like, do you ever chop it up? Yeah, life life for me is about relationships, bro. Yeah. No matter what title you have. And jail taught me this, too, especially at the camp, because I was locked up with millionaires, like Fortune 500 oh, wow. company owners, you know, embezzlement. Because once you get to the camp, it's white collar and, 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 and blue collar, I guess you could say. Gotcha, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Perfect yeah. example, uh, Martha Stewart's co-defendant. I was locked up with him. Remember okay. when Mar- Martha yeah. Stewart got locked up? Yeah. So there was a guy named Sam Waxel. So uh, Martha Stewart was inside trading. It was a a medication that he uh, a medicine that he created. He was a doctor and gave her inside trading information on the medicine that wasn't out yet. But as soon as it you know yeah buy shares in it now because it's about to yeah whatever. So I was locked up with guys like that. I mean he used to. Bentleys and Rolls Royces pulling up to the jail for visits, women with mink coats, like, you know, they used to sneak food in. Hey, it's Sam Wax. Hey, you want a lamb chop? Wow. At a visit. Lady opened up her mink coat. <laughs> Pull out a lamb chop, like, here, t- taste that. You know what I mean? And CEOs, you know, looking the other way because these guys are millionaires. You know what I mean? So, um, well, this is interesting, dog. But, them being millionaires, me being drug dealer Johnny in jail. It's that's what I mean. We're on the same level. Matter of fact, I kind of have a, a, a one up on them. Yeah, because you know, in some ways, I kind of ran to jail. But uh, yeah, like for instance, I had another friend named Hardeep Chala, and these are guys that came to my wedding, bro. Like these are guys that I made friends with. That mm. you know, we became close in jail, and the main one of the main reasons I will protect them. Mm. You know, like Hardeep, uh, Harry, his real name, his real name's Hardeep, but we, he went by Harry, Indian guy, commercial real estate from Philly, big bucks. Mm. You know, we became friends. Somebody tried to put pressure on him. He said, bro, can I move in with you? I'll take the top bunk. You can take the bottom, but I need to live with you so I can be okay. See, yeah. Right. So cool, Harry, I got you. Don't worry about it. He moves in with me. A couple days later, my mom, I get a letter from my mom. You know, somebody sent me a thousand dollars. I'm like, who? I don't know. Some people from Philly, they they're like Indian or something. Hardeep sends my mom a thousand dollars just for Jeez. allowing him to, you know, bunk. that's out of respect. For out you. of respect. And this guy came to my wedding, bought me two extra rings, mm. you know, a white gold band and a, another white gold band. Hey, if you know you don't want to wear your your diamond ring, you can wear this. Mm. You know, stuff like that. And 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 to bring you bring it back, life is about relationships, bro. Yeah. And my mom used to always tell me, it's not what you know, it's who you know. So I combine the two, and get the wisdom on what you know, but I also make it a point to build positive relationships with people. Yeah. It'll take you far in life, bro. I feel like, and I'm not speaking from experience, mm-hmm. but f- from the stories that I've heard, including yours, right, and the you know the things that you see and read, mm-hmm. that when when you're in prison. Uh, putting aside why you're there, right? It's the stripping down 
if you're if you're smart enough, it's mm. the stripping down of your ego, exactly, and pride, embrace, yeah, mm -hmm. and and because when we talked in the very beginning and we mentioned the code, mm -hmm. like that still is relevant, it even is. though when you're on the same plateau as these millionaires, mm -hmm. there's a code, right, and it's almost like. What can I take from this experience that will benefit me? And it's the honoring of the code, but also sharing and honoring the love for those that respected that code because I would do the same thing for that person right. as well. Right. So I'm assuming the people that, have, that came to your wedding, mm -hmm. like you mentioned, mm -hmm. it's that relationship like, I don't give a shit why we're here, why we were there. Right. Um, the, but we had that bond. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you're basically living with these people for years and, you, you know, you work out together, you, you know, work together and just become friends or even a brotherhood. But you do have to watch out for snakes. You don't have to watch out because some people don't never change, bro. Yeah. And they, there are some shysty, devious people in jail. And what one thing jail taught me is to observe people. What was the, one of the things that you learned just, directly happening to you or you just saw I mean these are the best con men in the world I mean these guys are top notch criminals so he could be cool as heck but and I, I tell these I tell this to the kids I tell this to anybody a person can tell you exactly what you want to hear but their actions will tell you exactly who they are mm. so watch a person's actions I could gaslight you tell you what you want to hear, observe you, see what you like, and kind of fit that into our conversation so that you feel comfortable with me. But eventually my actions will tell me, tell you what my, you know, what my, um, what my plan is mm. or what my purpose is with this relationship. Yeah. So jail taught me that, how one to observe people. One of the things I wanted to bring up was when you mentioned the millionaires, mm -hmm. the Fortune 500s. Mm-hmm. And I want to get into this, right? But you know the the way you have cultivated and flipped your life mm -hmm. once you got out of prison, right? Were you getting any nuggets of information from oh, these cats? I would pick their brains. I yeah, had, I had another uh, guy. Oh man, I can't remember his name. Neil Stein. He owned Rock Lobster, a uh, restaurant in Philly. Uh, another. He was a. Uh, 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 how you call that? Not a restaurant owner, but like a, uh, what is that called when a restaurant person like owns like famous restaurants? I don't uh, know. But he was, he was a, okay. he's a famous restaurant owner in Philly. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, million dollar restaurants. So he's Jewish. Well, okay. I, I, I made friends with a couple gotcha. Jewish guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, one day I asked him, I said, I said, uh, why do Jewish people prosper so much? Why do they, you know, have so much money? He said, one, Jewish people created interest. Wow. We started the first banks, and we came up with the concept of, I'll loan you this money, but you have to pay me this amount back. Mm. So that's how they started. And then jewelry. Mm. Jews have the jewelry business on smash. Mm. And then on top of that, he said, we own all the media companies. Yeah, fair enough. I don't care who says they own CBS or who owns Fox Yeah, at the top of the food chain is us. And gotcha. it's always been us. So I was like, sheesh, y'all control everything yeah. pretty much. And we stick together. We stick together and we do not, that whole crabs in the barrel mentality, we don't believe in that. We lift each other up. 
and we do not uh, believe in separation or like we stick together and we get money. And mm. I was just like, interesting. That's an interesting concept because I, I've heard that before. Mm-hmm. And I've also heard it. Usually I hear it on podcasts where it's the conversation is like, why can't black and brown people, why can't we elevate? do that right because we're seeing it done around us where it's like yo we can do that when Mm -hmm. i think of i think of hip-hop that's Mm -hmm. usually where i hear it the most it's like it's the biggest culture of music that everybody wants to be a part of right but yet those that created it Mm -hmm. aren't prospering from it as much so i i liken that to what you're you're mentioning now he's just pretty much okay he's he's saying that that on jews asians i mean yeah We've been here, Puerto Ricans have been here forever. Yeah. Why don't we own every corner store in the hood? Or why don't we own, I don't know. It just, it just mind boggles me, bro. We hate on each other, bro. Yeah. We hate on each other. We, um, they might be clapping up for you, but at, in the back of their mind, they're, they're just like, mm, I can't believe he did that. Or, yeah. I, you know, or how did why, he do can, that? why can't I do it? He did it. Or, you know, it's just bad juju, bad yeah, energy. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I don't know why we can't join forces and, and support each other and lift each other up and be prosperous together. I, Especially when you can see how it can, like it uh, works. For, like when I'm, when I'm seeing what you're doing, mm-hmm. it's like he's doing it. Right. And so let's get into that. Then the, the, you know, the coming out of prison, mm-hmm. were you immediately aware of this is what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Or did that take some time? Cause what you're doing now, where you were, <laughs> It's two different worlds. Bro, my first job was Kentucky Fried Chicken. Got you. I was in a halfway house in Harrisburg, got a job at Kentucky Fried Chicken. Couldn't get my license for six months. So just did almost eight and a half, almost nine years. And I'm walking an hour and a half, almost two hours to work, walking back to the halfway house every day. An hour and a half. An hour and a half walking. But guess what? I was free. And I was happy to walk. Very, so the, your perspective on life is different. Super humble. Yeah. You know, super um, thankful for being free. And I can never, I'll never forget, and I tell this story often. I remember walking home to the halfway house and just thinking like, man, I don't have anything. Mm. I came home with boxers and socks. You know what I mean? Like all that money that I was making was gone. And that, um, didn't, that wasn't on your mind? You were just like embracing the new for you embracing the new but at the same time worried about my future you know worried about finances but also knowing that going back to that lifestyle wasn't an option okay okay yeah i'm not going back to jail your mind was made up on that i'm not going back i'm not going to do anything to jeopardize my freedom so i had to grind it out you know walking so one day i'm walking to the halfway house and i never forget it having a conversation with god crying you know, man, I don't have shit. Like, what am I going to do now? And right before I stepped into the halfway house, bro, right hand up to God, I looked down on the ground and it was a hundred dollar bill on the ground. I picked it up, looked up and said, all right, I'll stop worrying, you know, and you weren't allowed to have cash on you. Okay. So I go in there and I'm like, I don't want to get in trouble because of this money. So I tell him, hey, I think somebody dropped this money out front and I found it. 
So they're looking at me like, this dude's crazy. He found 100 bucks and he's trying to... Right, give it back. And I'm like, yeah, because there's cameras all over the front of the halfway house. So sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm already thinking ahead. They're going to see me pick it up. They're going to ask me about it. I'm going to uh, lie and yeah. say that I don't have it. Then I'm going to get in trouble. So they said, look, we checked the cameras. We can't see who dropped the money. We're going to put it in your box or whatever. We had like a storage box where when you left the halfway house you could take whatever you needed okay we're gonna put it in your box when you leave on your pass you could take the hundred bucks so i said cool but in hindsight that was i don't know what people believe in god higher power the source yeah yeah that was uh energy or vibrations or or something telling me hey it's gonna be all right Mm. i got you yeah just stay on the right path you know, stay stay focused, and you're going to be all right. It's going to take a while. It's going to be a process. But as long as you stay focused, keep those, you know, blinders on, uh, don't go back to that same lifestyle, it's going to work out for you. Now, I, I didn't have no idea how it was going to work out or what yeah. my destiny was, but I knew that I had to stay focused. And I made it out of the halfway house, you know, still working at KFC. I actually transferred from uh, KFC in Harrisburg to KFC in Lancaster. Okay. Um my second job was McDonald's, grown gotcha. man. So I go yeah. from making thousands of dollars a week to getting a check for like four fifty every two weeks. I'm like, sheesh, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah, yeah. So McDonald's working. Now, mind you, uh, I, I'm still going to church. I was going to End the Light Ministries, got involved with the youth ministry okay. at End the Light. At the time, there was only a couple kids, and I found that I had a knack of communicating with younger people and kind of uh, telling them my experience and using a mixture of scare tactics sure. and, you know, uh, you know, choices and you don't want to do go through what I went through. And little by little, the group the youth group at church started growing. Mm. So then I found the niche or the, the, the joy out of speaking. Now, my mom was always telling me, you're going to be a pastor. You're going to preach at a church. And, I, you know, I would entertain that. But in the back of my mind, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be a pastor. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. like speaking in front of people. Yeah. So I don't know if you know Jose Jimenez, Pastor Jose. No. He is or was. He actually is not part of Teen Haven anymore. But uh, he was the head person at Teen Haven. Okay. Uh, okay. So he a job opened up at Teen Haven for boys program director. Now, mind you, I just got out of jail. I'm a felon, yeah, ex-drug dealer, mm-hmm. fresh out of jail. So I was like, ah. But my mom was like, hey, apply. See if you, you know, the worst thing they could do is say no. Yeah. So I applied. They interviewed me, and they gave me the job. Bro. Wow. Boys program director for Teen Haven. So now I'm running a summer camp. You know, every Tuesday we're playing basketball. We're having uh, Bible studies. You know, I'm bringing different people in to speak to the kids. And I did that for two years. And then I got a taste of how nonprofits work. Okay. And in 2010, I started my own nonprofit called J-Arts, Juvenile Adult Rehabilitation and Transitional Services. Mm. My goal was to help guys coming out of jail and to mentor young people. So... We did that for a while, had a whole team behind me. It's growing, but it kind of started leaning towards the kids a lot more. 
and kind of we kind of strayed away from the guys coming from jail not for not by choice but just legalities and gotcha. you know a lot of these guys would come home and they didn't want to change yeah yeah so yeah. i was like man this ain't you, working you out. can't uh teach an old dog new tricks mm-hmm. so i was like let me focus on the kids and nip this in the bud before Fair enough. they get to that point where they're locked up or before they're into the streets. And it was very successful. And uh, eventually, uh, I was running programs in Lancaster, York, and Harrisburg. At one point, I had over 1,000 kids, bro, in my mentoring program. How long, mm-hmm. how long was it till you got to that point? So I came home in 2008. By 2011, we okay, had so the, in three years. Three years. Wow. Yep. So um, once again, relationships. <laughs> I came across a, 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 an extraordinary man named Clyde Rivers. So Clyde Rivers, Dr. Clyde Rivers, Sir Clyde Rivers, King Clyde Rivers. This guy is like. Where, is, where are we going? With right. So this guy, <laughs> uh, he's, a, he's an honorary king in Africa. He's a, he's a knight, honorary knight from London. So. I had a friend named Sean Walker who I was running mentoring programs in Harrisburg with. He says, look, this guy named Clyde wants me to be on a show in Chicago. Will you drive up with me? I said, cool, let's go. We'll take turns driving. I'll get, we'll get there. So we get to the show in, 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 in Chicago, and there's all these people from all walks of life all over the country, uh, um, ambassadors, you know, uh, yeah. just high-ranking people. Yeah. So I'm just there as a driver. So I see this big dude. I mean, he's probably like 6'5". Just immense guy. But his aura was bigger than him physically. Like, Mm. you could tell. Like, people were just hovering around him. You know, waiting. You could tell waiting for the opportunity to talk to him. And he sees me and he's like, come here. Social media. Mm. I go up to him. He shakes my hand. And he says, I've been following you for a while on Facebook. You're next. Wow. And he shakes my hand. And at that time, I didn't know what he meant by you're next. But this guy owns or runs uh, ICN, I Change Nations. And it's the biggest honoring society in the world. So basically what he does is he goes around the world and he honors people for the things that they do, for the work that they do. Now, these are, like I said, kings, you know, knights. Uh, people that just awesome people from all over the world. And he said, you're next. So he said, just keep on the right track. Keep building what you're doing and I'll be in contact with you. I said, all right, cool. So a couple months go by and he reaches out and he says, look, I want to give you this award. It's called the golden ambassador award. I want to, uh, uh, give it to you in Washington, DC, come to DC. We're going to honor you with this award. Wow. Okay. So I get to D.C., they give me the award. That's when I built the relationship with Clyde, uh, Dr. Clyde. We become super close. So I keep on working, keep on building these mentoring programs. A couple years go by, get a couple more awards. And he says, he reaches out again. He says, the highest award that we have is an honorary doctorate. I want to present it to you. Okay. This is 2015. So I'm like, what do you mean doctorate? Like, yeah, he says, well, you know, Muhammad Gandhi, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King. uh, This is the same doctorate that they have or had or, you know, have. Sure. So it kind of blew my mind because I didn't really grasp what he was doing for me. Once again, come to D.C. You know, we were in Congress like 
bro, we got there and there's guys in black suits, glasses. We went into a place where civilians can't be. You know, I'm looking at paintings on the walls of, you know, all these famous people. And and he and I got he presented me with the honorary doctorate in 2015. And that's when I took the the name on Dr. Vega. Okay, I was wondering. So that that's that's a pretty dope way to get that honorary. You know what I mean? Like uh, somebody gifted that to you because of what they saw in you, but also saw what you were doing. Exactly. And that isn't like some something you sneeze at. No, not at all. It changed my whole life. Yeah. My, My whole life changed after that because, you know, he said, and this is advice from him. He said, look, I'm gonna give you the credentials. It's up to you what you do with them. Mm. You know, after that, I, I, I co-authored two books. So now I'm Dr. Vega, you know, a published author. He said, you need these things if you want to do this motivational speaking. If you want to make moves in this in this area, you're going to need these credentials and I'm going to give them to you. But it's like I said, it's up to you what you do with them. And I took the baton off. I took the baton and yeah. sprinted with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I'm Dr. Vega. And then I come across another amazing man named Ron James. Ron James did 25 years in jail, ex-crack addict, like crack addict, like out in the streets for days, not bathing, Mm. eating out of dumpsters. He went to jail, and the last time he got locked up, changed his life, came home and wrote a book named Choices by Ron James. They even did a movie about him. So um, shout out to Ron, shout out to T.J. Griffin, Okay. Who was also okay. he, TJ TJ played Ron. I remember that in the uh, movie. Uh, okay, yeah. So um two very close friends of mine and Ron is a motivational speaker, nationally known, and he's and I meet him one day and he tells me, "Look, I'm going to all these schools all over the country, but I can't keep telling my story if they invite me back. Would you be willing to come and tell your story?" So at first I was horrible, bro. I used to sweat like a Hebrew slave, like <laughs> like dripping, like embarrassed. Yeah, like they, yeah, would, they yeah. would they would like come up to me with like a wash rag or a napkin, like here, like wipe your face because I was so nervous and sweating. Got you. But he taught me, took me under his wing, taught me the ins and outs of uh, speaking, how to do certain things like a, a pregnant pause and like work in the room and and just took me under his wing. And uh, I've known Ron now for almost eight years and we've traveled all over the country speaking at different schools, juvenile facilities, and um, yeah, he's part of the inner circle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he gave me the opportunity, Clyde gave me the opportunity, and now here I am. So it's like you said, it's all about building relationships. Correct. Um, but this, from what I'm gathering, mm-hmm. is this, this stemmed off of everything after prison. Correct. This wasn't anything you had any intention of doing prior well i had an epiphany in jail that i wanted to make sure the youth didn't make the same mistakes that i made i didn't know how i was going to do that or the whole approach or speaking like i said i wanted to start off start up i did start a a non-profit yeah so that was my fair enough yeah but after a while the whole you know grants and you know funding and the government and I just had a bad, after a while, I got a bad taste in my mouth with the whole nonprofit gotcha. side of things. Yeah, yeah. So um, I stopped that and uh, just focused on the speaking and the, and the writing. And uh, any opportunity I got to speak, I took it. And uh, for, a lot of times it was for free yeah. or, you know, for very little money. Um, but uh, it grew. And um, 
people liked what I was saying and, you know, went from speaking to actually uh, implementing mentoring programs in those schools. So the follow-up was big, real big for me too. I just didn't want to get them hype yeah. and then they never see me again. Okay. So, um, you know, setting Makes up, sense. like we have uh, mentoring programs in Jersey now, uh, New York, um, here in Lancaster. So um, still, still going strong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so cool, man. Like I, I'm just taking a step back. Mm-hmm. Like listening to everything you just talked about so right. far, like do you ever, I'm, and I'm sure you do, but do you ever like reflect and like look at yourself um, uh, again? Mm-hmm. Statistically, right, you're not supposed to be doing no, beat, what you're doing. I beat the odds, bro. Yeah, I beat the odds. You know, uh, recidivity rate is crazy. People going back and forth to jail, back and forth to jail, and um, one of the things that to this day I think about was me talking to my mom. Me telling her my plans before I came home and her telling me, I hope this isn't jail talk. Mm. Because in jail, guys will tell you exactly what you want to hear, you know, just so you. um, Oh, she was concerned that you were hype off of people feeding you stuff. Right. In jail. Right. And you were about to walk into something that was not going to be prosperous. Correct. Gotcha. Yep. And so just jail talk, like just, you know, not standing on your word, you know, say what you mean, mean what you say, you know, if you're going to do that, do it, but don't come home and end up fucking up again. Yeah. After all this, all these years of, you know, saying you're going to do good, saying, right. you know, you which change. is a legit thing for a mother to, to worry it about. It is. For it her is son. super, super legit. And, um, and that's another thing I, 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 uh, when I got locked, I have an awesome family, bro. Mom, yeah. sister, just word. cousins, aunts, uncles, and uh, we're very close-knit, and I let him down. Mm. I let him down. I broke my mom's heart. You know, she you know, she said, you know, couldn't eat or sleep or always worried about me. And I didn't want to put her through that again, ever, you know. And um, that was my goal. When I came home, I said, I'm never hurting my mom again like that, ever. Real quick, mm-hmm. and, and, and I want to get into what you're doing now. Right. I, I, I want to transition that to end this conversation. But, okay. Um, the, can you share with like the 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 feeling that your last day in prison, knowing this is it, right? That coming home, right. that uh, the culture shock. I'm sure that mm-hmm. you were experiencing. You yep. missed out on right. nine years of social life. Correct. Can you share that? So I actually, I hate to say it, but after a while, especially in the camp, I got kind of comfortable there. Yeah, you know, I'm yeah eat, yeah I'm yeah. Eat, I know what I'm, you mean. I'm okay, eating good. You. You know, I'm yeah. exercising every day. I adapted to the situation. It's a structure that you were right. used to. And I got used to it, mm-hmm. you know. And um, my last, uh, I, I had a lot of friends in jail. And uh, my last day, i never forget it. So it, was, uh, it wasn't cells in the camp. It was cubicles. So it's all open. Like literally, if you're laying on the top bunk, you could look to the left of you and see all these guys laying on the top bunk. Gotcha. Look to the right of you. See all these guys, you know, so it's all open. So I'll never forget it. It was count time. And I walk into the, uh, to our, to our, our, our uh, side of the jail. And I hear all this screaming and like, you know, good luck, bro. Why these guys snuck into the music room, took out the congas, you know, and I work in the kitchen, so they made me a cake. They had a meal <laughs> they for me. They baked the baker they, they cake. They baked me a cake, bro. And uh, 
we had a party that last night and you, you know think about that i do yeah. and especially right now because when i left uh there was probably about 200 guys standing in front of the building waving by them wow and i cried like a baby and my mom was like why are you crying and i was like because i have to leave them behind yeah you yeah, know what i mean yeah, yeah. they still have to do their it's time the survivor guilt right so but at the same time, I, was, <laughs> I see you when I see you. <laughs> write me. I'll write you back. But I was out. And um, i never forget it. We went to the mall. And uh, I felt like I was having an anxiety attack. One, because I haven't, hadn't been around that many women mm. in like yeah. eight, nine years. And I'm just like, whew. And then the changes were crazy. Like... Um, that was right before iPhones came out. So uh, I had uh, my mom got me a, a BlackBerry. Okay. Literally okay. right before iPhones came out. But even that phone like blew my mind. I, yeah. I got a computer in my hand. Yeah. This is crazy. Went to the supermarket, saw the uh, the self checkout lines. Like, there's no more cashiers. Yeah. Like this is bugged out. Like, and when I when I checked into the halfway house, they checked my blood pressure. And they were like, do you need blood pressure medicine? Because your blood <laughs> pressure is like through the roof right now. And I was like, no, I just need to relax. Like, I was at the mall. I, I just came from the mall. I ate Chinese food. Like, yeah. So it was a hard transition for me at first because you become uh, institutionalized. Sure. Like for a while, I couldn't sit like with anybody behind me. Mm. You know, I would be at restaurants and I would, hey, I got to sit here because I don't want anybody yeah. behind me. And uh, just observing everything, like being very um, particular and observing of people, not trusting anybody. Um, yeah, it was a it was not a hard transition, but it was a different transition for me. Mm. And um, but I, 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 you know, after time and you know, getting used to the world again, I, I transitioned well. But at first, it was because yeah, you read super, stories that that doesn't happen very easily. Super weird, bro. Super weird when I first came home. Um, you know, and just uh, relationships and, you know, people got a lot older since, you know, people sure. that were 10 were like 20 now. Yeah, I didn't think about that. So it's like, oh, you were a baby when I saw you. Now you're an adult. Like, this is this is blowing my mind. But um, I adapted well. It took me a, a while, probably a year or two before I really got into the groove of things. Okay. But, um, yeah, just... Uh, Kind of took it one day at a time at first and then started meeting good people and making plans and, you know, writing things down, goals and aspirations and, you know, learning about affirmations and, you know, speaking life into myself and uh, just really focusing on myself for that first couple of years. And then I started taking uh, what people poured into me and pouring into others. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and I was thinking about this on the way up here. Uh, our biggest commodity, our biggest asset in life is love. Absolutely. Is love, bro. Absolutely, bro. And I, and I, and I, you know, I, like I told you, my whole perspective on religion has changed yeah. over the years. Yeah. You know, um, if you're Muslim or if you're Jewish, who am I to say your path to enlightenment is, right. is, is, is wrong. wrong. Right. Right. So, um, you know, I believe in a higher power. I believe in energy. I believe in vibration. Word. You know, yeah. um, 
like I told you before, you could tell me whatever you want. Your actions will tell me who you are. Yeah. So I'm going to just watch and wait until I see what I want to see. Yeah, dig it, man. So um, love, bro. And, then, and, then, and like I said, I'm not religious, but they say God is love. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know bro. what I mean? So the answer is love, bro. Yeah. You love on me. I love on you. Yeah. You know, we help each other out when we can, but we understand that we have our own separate lives. We have our own separate families. But if it's in my power to help you any way I can, I will. And the dope thing about it, though, is when you say that we have our own lives and differences here and there, mm-hmm. when you let I have a I have a, a little sl- a slogan with my family. I tell my kids and my wife and mm-hmm. I said, I believe in law. It's love always wins. Right. Okay. And I write it every now and then L-A-W. And it's the only way for me because I'm not super religious either. And I grew up Catholic. Mm -hmm. You know, we went to San Juan Mm -hmm. and everybody in my family knew everybody in my family in the church and all that. I'm like, I'm at the point in my life where just like exactly what you just said, bro. Mm -hmm. I have an episode in the beginning of the podcast called Energy. Right. I talk just about that, about wow. listening to your energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I believe that when when people genuinely want the best for you. Right. Um, and they're not looking for anything out yeah. of their interaction with you. Right. And that that energy, that frequency, mm-hmm. it resonates. It and does. it makes you move a certain way. Right. And if you can get hip to it, we can go places now that's god that's the universe that's, right i don't know karma I whatever just, you want to call right. it right i know it's something yeah, right and so i honor it um but it's, but it's universal that. law yeah man and even on a deeper level low vibrating beings are evil Ooh, are evil up to no good devious deceitful you know what i mean yeah it makes even, sense. even yeah, on a right. spiritual level Bad spirits are low vibrating entities. Mm. So take it on the other side of things. Yeah. You have to operate on a high vibration. Yeah. At all times. Or at least try. Yeah. And there's things that'll try to knock your vibration down, but you have to recognize that and not let it affect you. We have total control over our emotions, the way we think, the way we feel. I'll be, I just turned 45 last week. and Happy birthday, bro. Thank you. And I've come to realize that anything outside of this doesn't really matter. Yeah. You have no control. You have no control over it. Yeah. So what, what do you have control over? Your emotions, mm-hmm. the way you treat your body, your spirit, and your soul. Those things you take care of, and I, and, and this is something I've been thinking about. You you, t- you said you wanted to talk to me about that jog. Yeah. So. The 45-pound plate. Yes. You're running, pushing and pulling? Pushing and pulling. So it's a 45-pound metal plate. Yeah. Picture this. It's a rug like this. So you get on all fours, and you literally push it across the room. Mm. But the dragging, that wasn't, that's the easy part. Yeah, it's pulling it not even pulling it bro you the <laughs> big shout out to Chegg, jose vega he's my trainer okay, okay you put your feet on the plate but your feet are facing the opposite direction so when you're you're not you're pushing it backwards oh so you're pushing it this way and the plate's behind you so okay you, so you 
Okay, wow. So I got about three-fourths of the way done. I can't do it anymore. So I literally collapse on the floor, roll over, and Jose was laughing at me because I'm like, I don't know why I did it, but I threw a couple of like air punches <laughs> while I'm on it. And I didn't think anybody was looking. I didn't think anybody was looking at me, but he just starts cracking up. But as I'm laying there and my body's on the verge of exhaustion, my I'm running on E, I start laughing. And it was in a it was out of the blue. It was just, you know a natural, organic, just, I can't believe I'm doing this to myself, and started laughing. But then I had the thought, the epiphany that, wow, like, it it really is mind over matter. Like, even though I'm hurting, even though I'm exhausted, even though my body literally gave out, yeah, I could still laugh. Mm. I could still laugh. And that's life. You know, we're going to get to points in our life where we feel like giving up. Yeah. Physically, mentally, spiritually. Like, there's points in my life where I wanted to check out. Like, man, this is too tough. And I can see why people end their lives. Because they get to that point where I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I can't live anymore. Yeah. Like, I just want to give up. But if you can dig deep, and there's a saying, whatever... uh, makes you laugh makes you cry but if you take the laughter route if you take the ownership of joy ownership of yourself in line uh, alignment that's what i was thinking about today if you align everything spiritually physically mentally like it it all coincides and if you align it right you're good yeah and that energy you give off to your kids yeah that energy you give off to your wife. Mm-hmm. They see that. They see daddy going through this, going through that, struggling with this, struggling with that, but still laughing. Yeah. Still enjoying life. Hey, we'll be all right. We'll get through this. I got a saying, quitting's not an option. Yeah. No matter what you're going through in life, it's a season. It's temporary. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So let's get through this season, work on the next season, make the next season better. Yeah. Take that loss, turn it into a lesson. Take that mess, turn it into a message. Yeah. You know what I mean? The glass ain't half empty, it's half full. Right. You know, especially our kids, bro. Yeah. Oh, dog. (laughs) I I wrap up my podcast by saying maintain focus and stay continuous through all four seasons. Right. I've always told myself that. That's something I just conjured up like 15 years ago. And it was like the the cycle of... um, each seat, uh, there is no end. Mm-hmm. It, the, the journey is consistent. The journey is consistent. Um, and also, like what, what I appreciate what you said, and this ties into what you mentioned also earlier in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, um, forgive me, I had a brain fart. Okay. I can't. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was you said, but mm-hmm. I know it ties in where my children are going to see me. Oh, actions speak louder than words. So exactly. So I can tell my kids, I expect this, that, and the third mm-hmm. of you. Mm-hmm. But I'm the real. I'm getting hip to. There are things that I do that contradict that. Oh yeah. That I didn't realize that they are paying attention. Right. But they don't realize they're paying attention. Right. It's just that their actions are echoing mine. Exactly. So. It's like I have to really get hip to that frequency right. of like how do I speak with my actions? Well, really, it's letting 
my vulnerability, mm-hmm. uh, get, you know, expose myself to my kids and go, I, I'm, I, I, I screwed up. Right. Right. I ain't the best. Right. But I, that was on me. Right. Let me show you what I mean and try. Mm-hmm. And it's like when you start uh, allowing that, that growth. Right. Everything just feels better. It even does. even the failing mm-hmm. and the hard times when you take that right. L. Right. And I'm sure that you've ha- you've experienced oh, that yeah. in this journey of yours. It's, it's a roller like coaster that, ride, yeah. bro. It's a roller coaster. But showing that showing your children that you can still prevail. Yes. Because they're gonna see the losses. They're gonna yeah. see the frustration. They're gonna even see the bad choices that you make, but the bounce back. Yeah. Oh, dad, you know, dad still pulled it off. Yeah. Dad still, you know, ended up providing for us, even though things were hard at one point. You know, he still fought through it, never gave up. Mm. And we're never going to give up on our kids. So they see, like, no matter what I go through, you know, dad showed me how to adapt and react to any situation, Uh. you know? And it's just a blessing. I promised myself my daughter will never go through anything I went through. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know it. So I make it a point, even though she might be a little spoiled, but at the same time, no man that she ever comes across, I set the bar super high. Well, absolutely. You know, I set the bar super high. I only have one. You have to though. You have to, especially with the daughter. What? I have three daughters, bro, and. You don't realize the impact that as a male mm-hmm. in a daughter's life, like yes. the impact that the father has right. until you're sort of like in it and right. you're like, yeah, I need, I need you. You better be picky as fuck when you get Pick. older. <laughs> <laughs> Bro. Like, because like, I, I need that from you. Yes. You're worthy. You're worthy. Don't settle for anything less. Nah. And I tell my daughter, I'm one of the best that ever did it. Like, yeah. Salute to that, bro. Yeah, as far as like women and, you know, mm-hmm. telling them what they want to hear and giving them gifts. And I don't want some dude buying dude. my daughter some sneakers yeah. or, you know, let's smoke a blunt together or, and, you know. Yeah, I hear you. Dog. I can see it coming. And I, you know. How old is your daughter for you? 13. Okay, so you're already, yeah, you're, you're. <laughs> bro, different hair color every month. You know, uh, she went, and I and I, I keep it 100. She went through the stage where she says she like girls. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I tell her, I love you no matter what. That's what's up, bro. Like, no matter what. And it was, it, I'm not saying it was a phase, but she chopped all her hair off. Yeah. Dad called me Cam. He got you. I'm like, who, Killer Cam? She's like, who's Killer Cam? I'm like, oh, forget long it. Story. That's, yeah, that's long okay. story. <laughs> but she, it was not a phase, but it was, it was a season for her. Mm-hmm. And I still have to support her through that season, even if I agree with it or not. Yeah. You know, she has to choose her own path. She has to express herself the way she wants to. And I don't want to put her in a box or, you know. And she immediately let her hair grow back, went from wearing boys' clothes to back to girls' clothes. Now it's like, Dad, there's no such thing as gender anymore. It's a 13-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's all about fluidity. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I like fluidity, whatever. Let's go get some ice cream. How about that? All right, cool. So, um, yeah. So, the stage I'm at now, I talked about uh, uh, alignment, you know, spiritually, physically, something that I neglected. And I always refer to the story where Jesus walked into the temple, and it was the only time in the Bible 
that Jesus lost his temper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was because they were disrespecting his father's house, the temple. So I took that and I said, our body's a temple. So mm. if we're disrespecting it, if we're treating our body like a garbage can instead of a, a, a temple, a sacred temple, where the spirit lives, where God lives, then we're doing ourselves a big dishonor. And that's why we suffer from diabetes. That's why we suffer. These are the, the uh, backlashes of not treating our bodies the way we should treat it. And it's not our fault. You know, slave masters gave us leftovers. Mm. And we called it soul food. Mm. You know, chitlins and, and, and pork intestines. And this stuff is horrible for us. But as a people, we could turn lemons into lemonade. Yeah. And we took the scraps and made it tasteful and, and good for us. But it's horrible for our health. Yeah. And we've gone through years. Even Spanish people. I go to my abuela's house. Mm-hmm. Benil, but the portions. Oh yeah, one thousand percent. I'm like thinking in my head, it's like three thousand calories right here that she's trying to feed me, and then gets mad if you don't and eat you it. You can't all. talk about calories, no, nah. to abuela. But it's just we've been brainwashed and made to think that, and then you know we can go into the whole government thing and big pharma and all sure, that. But sure, yeah, about four years ago, I got really sick. I got pneumonia. Uh, I was in the hospital for about a week, lost 27 pounds. My organs were shutting down. I developed blood clots. And a good brother named uh, Brother uh, Hanif, a Muslim dude, comes to me and visits me in the hospital. And he has a jar. And he says, take two tablespoons of this a day and it'll help you recover. It was sea moss. I'm on my deathbed, basically. And doctors said I would never run again my lungs would never be the same that's how bad the pneumonia was this is six months prior to covid oh my god right my mom thinks i i caught covid but you know before covid hit but it was pneumonia so this guy the doctor i was taking blood thinners and the doctor said the only way i could stop taking the blood thinners is if i walk up and down the hallways i didn't have enough energy to walk up steps let alone gotcha so he gives me the cmos i start taking it about a week and a half two weeks later i start feeling better start walking. I don't have to take the blood thinners anymore. About another couple another couple weeks go by. Start feeling even more better. All right, I got my energy back. About a month and a half later, I start jogging again. So I'm taking the CMOS, taking the CMOS. It's like, wow, this stuff is really working. Give it to my mom. She has thyroid problems. A couple months later, she doesn't have to take her thyroid medicine anymore. Wow. My dad, high blood pressure, suffers from things that come from high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Start giving it to him. He doesn't have to take blood pressure anymore, blood pressure medicine anymore. To having sex again because yeah. the the blood pressure gave him, you know. Yeah. Um. So I'm like, wow. So mind you, we're still going to church. They start telling people at church about it. Hey, Johnny got this stuff that'll help you lose weight, give you energy, keep you from getting sick. So I'm giving it away for free. Okay. I wow. bought a pound of sea moss, made a whole bunch of jars here. See how it works for you. People are asking for more. There's the, yeah. So I'm like, wow. I'm helping people get healthy. I'm creating revenue for myself. Let's turn this into a business. So it was a side hustle for about three years. Okay, wow. Yeah. yeah you, this just, just started. Right. So about exactly a year ago, I started the LLC, Land and Sea Natural Supplements. 
find a brick and mortar about a month ago. Now I have a, a Lancaster's first all natural supplement store. And, yeah. And now not only sup, uh, the sea moss, but I have like 20 other different natural supplements from all over the world that all are medicinal teas, honeys, you know, the sea moss. I have moringa, turmeric, elderberry. And, and it's crazy, bro, how God positions you. If you just listen. Yeah. To direction. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know yeah, what I mean? Because he'll yeah. tell you and lead you in the right direction, but ultimately we're not robots. God gave us yeah. the, the, the the power of choice. So it's up to us to go right or left. He'll point you in the right direction, but you got to follow his lead or the, the lead. And um, yeah, it's been crazy. It's been very successful. People are coming back. Um, I had one person that had incurable cancer certain amount of time to live and bro no more cancer like no it, it blows it blows my mind like um everything that i've gone through in my life has brought me to this point and to be in a position to heal people yeah is like better than the doctorate better than the awards you know like for somebody that has no hope Hey, take this, drink it, eat it, you know, it'll help with this, help with that. And then it works. And they come back. Doctors are telling me that, that I have no hope. And now I'm cured. Yeah. You know, it's like almost like the woman with the issue of blood. Like, yeah, she had no hope. And all she had to do was touch his garment. You know what I mean? Not comparing myself to God or no, Jesus. No, no, but I dig it. But yeah, God has put me in this position where... Bro, like losing weight, getting in shape, that's just the icing on the cake. People are getting healed from their underlying health issues, and I'm just grateful, bro. Thankful that God has put me at this point in my life, a sinful guy, still make bad choices, still make yeah. mistakes every day, but I realize what my destiny is. I realize what my gifts are. I tell people, realize what your gifts are, and you'll find your destiny. Mm. Yeah, people waste years, their whole lives, seeking stuff. Right, yeah. Not realizing, hey, I'm good at this. Yeah. I'm really good at this. It comes naturally to me, but I've been ignoring it. Yep. And it's time. It's time to for people to realize their greatness, uh, their potential. Each one of us have the power to change the world. Even if it's just one person, you change their world. You know what I mean? You uh, change yeah. their path. And if I can do it for one person, it's 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 worth it. Yeah, it's like uh, when you mentioned you know, God um, showing you the way, right? Or uh, uh, I've always um, compared it to He's gonna if you're asking for something, mm -hmm. it's being given to you. You're just not hip to the way it's being given because you're looking for it a certain way. Right. You're looking for that message the way you want to receive this you message. You know, sometimes you may have to go and work at a different job to get to this other job that you want to be at. Right. But you, you got to be willing to take the the scenic route here. Yeah. And um, the older I get, the more I'm like, I, I got to be patient mm -hmm. and I got to be uh uh, willing to to uh, be vulnerable enough to be like, I'm gonna let you lead. I'm mm -hmm. a, I just I, I gotta be happy with where I'm at and and, and trust the process. Right. Um, I was hip to see Moss. Mm -hmm. Um, when you started 
promoting it mm-hmm. and, and and I was actually I remember watching videos on TikTok which mm-hmm. the irony is like there's so much garbage on TikTok but then there's also so much helpful information very helpful you just got to really like mm-hmm. pick and navigate right and somehow the the i don't know the gentleman's name but he's the 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 black brother with the white hair and the beard that you've got on your wall mm-hmm. dr sebi okay dr sebi yes. i watched a video of his right. years ago right breaking down CMOS, mm-hmm. the benefits of CMOS, mm-hmm. and and i remember being really intrigued by it because mm-hmm. it was like making sense mm-hmm. and it was uh another fellow that was um also breaking down the importance of adding this to your diet right so now that you have you you are where you are in your life now Mm -hmm. and you have this um um opportunity to share this information right do you see the reason why i'm bringing this up is because people will always say this is too good to be true right are you are you ex- expecting any pushback? Because the government, mm-hmm. if you want to go that route, right, is going to be like, we, you can't just be, you know what I mean, right? You can't be gatekeeping this. This is this is too good to be true here. Right. Right. Are you are you prepared for something like that? There's always going to be naysayers. There's always going to be people that are skeptic. Um, but the proof is in the pudding, bro. Like it's been four and a half years since I got that first jar and I have hundreds of people that could testify that this stuff works and CMOS is just one thing that I found at first but it says also like I said I'm not religious but in the word of God it says it in the Quran and it says it in the Bible that all things for healing come from the ground yeah you know what I mean yeah 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 the higher power God whatever you want to call it has put in nature, everything we need to stay healthy. We just got to know what to take, yeah. what it does. And people like Dr. Sebi traveled all over the world looking for herbs, roots, sea moss, um, you know. And there's things all over. And that's why people from the, if you notice, people from the Caribbean don't suffer from obesity don't get sick often. Yeah. The, the guy that I get the sea moss from, his, he's from St. Lucia. His name's Muhammad. This guy, once again, has a big white beard. He's in his 60s and is cut like a bag of dope. Mm, nice. Six yeah, pack. <laughs> all muscle. That's what I want to be at my at that age. And he eats sea I'm moss. I'm not there every, now. But he eats, <laughs> and, and it's just, it's what you eat, bro. The, uh, food is our medicine. Yeah. It can either be our medicine or poison. Like. And it's also ch- changing. Uh, I'm guessing mm-hmm. is ch- the 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 conditioned mind mm-hmm. and how we are so used to just eating and consuming. Right. It's like how how do we change the conditioning of the mind to be like, listen, it's tough. It's right here. Right. Because I'm a victim of it, dog. We like all are. I know my, intellectually, mm-hmm. I'm there. Right. But then it's just like. Being disciplined enough to, to live do out it. that, yeah, it's a lifestyle, yeah, and that's what I tell people: you gotta implement it in your lifestyle. Like it just has to be something that you got to be conscious about what you put in your body and do the research. Like for instance, I have um, all natural toothpaste, and people are like, "Why do you have all natural toothpaste?" Because fluoride gives you brain fog. Mm. Fluoride is the reason why people are getting. Uh, um, when you when you lose your memory, uh, dementia, dementia, 
And it's a proven fact. And we've been brushing our teeth since we were five, four years old, mm. flooding our bodies with fluoride. And they're telling us that fluoride protects your teeth. Fluoride makes your teeth stronger. It's a lie, bro. It's a lie. Fluoride is horrible for you. So mm. just little things like that. Um, we're not supposed to eat meat. We're not carnivores. Our teeth aren't even sharp. Uh, sharp. Yeah. Yep. And then people are like, ah, oh, you know, um, we should eat meat. It's good protein. You know, it keeps us strong. I tell them, what are the most strongest, one of the most strongest animals in the jungle? Let's take elephants, for instance. Huge, massive, muscle. All they eat is plants. Mm. Gorillas. All muscle. Strong as heck. Yeah. All they eat is plants. Yeah. You know what I mean? Gotcha. So it's like nature will tell you what the... And they were like, "Why? Well, why did we eat meat when we were, you know, cavemen, or you know, because we had to survive? Sure, yeah. We yeah. didn't. We didn't have a choice. Yeah. Now you we have be a picky at that time. Now we have, bro. They're making. They're making meat now in labs. You know what yeah. I mean? And yeah, it's yeah. legal for them to sell it. You know, uh, dairy causes mucus in your body. You know, so the more cheese you eat, the more milk. They say milk is good for your bones. Vitamin D, lie." Yeah. We're not supposed to drink milk. We're the only beings on this planet that drink milk yeah. from another animal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, fish, you know, uh, the, the chicken, they're pumping them with, you know, you take an egg, it goes from an egg to a full-grown chicken in months. They're filling, we're feeding these birds with steroids and, you know, and we're consuming it. That's why our kids are so developed now. You yeah. know, you have these boys and little girls that don't look like little girls yeah. or little boys anymore remember when we were young nah, yeah. girls look like girls yeah now it's like it's because of what they're eating you know and and that's another and it, i can get super deep with this stuff this is why people lived 400 years 500 years you talk about lived back in the day you know moses you know all these people lived hundreds of years why because of the food they ate the water was pure you know, the, the food that they ate was no preservatives, no mm. nothing, all natural. That's why they lived hundreds of years. And now, you know, we're lucky to make 70. Yeah. We're lucky to make yeah. 80. These 200 years, 300 years, they live. That's Holy because shit, it's because of the food they ate. Mm. Yeah. That's uh. And there's things out there, you know, black seed oil. Amazing. You know, moringa. Amazing. Turmeric. Great for your skin. I have people with... uh eczema yeah okay that have been using this turmeric soap that i have coming back hey my skin's getting better you know what i mean um there's this stuff called uh tangat ali it's a herb that i have it's a male testosterone booster all natural once you hit 40 your testosterone star levels start mm -hmm. dropping this is an all natural way to and bro not for nothing, but guys are coming back like they try to re up on. I feel great, <laughs> you know. Sex life is back, yeah. you know. Blood pressure is dropping, and they don't have to take this poison, these pills. The the side effects are worse than what you're going through. Yeah, you know what I mean. And 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 there's a reason. And I don't like to talk about this too much because I don't want to get killed. But <laughs> that's why I brought up the government because I'm like, bro, I don't really, I, I don't want to be a martyr. Because <laughs> you, because the, the the 
this isn't this isn't new. It's not new, but it's also it seems like it's shit that's kind of like always oh, kind of like no, we're not we can't let them know about this. Do your research on Doctor Sebi. Yeah, Doctor Sebi was charged by the federal government because he wasn't a medical doctor, okay. and this is what one of the reasons why. Anytime I post something or talk about the supplements, I don't say doctor. You okay. know what I mean? Because I don't have a medical doctorate. Okay. You know, and it's an honorary doctorate. And I could probably get in trouble the way he got in trouble. So they said, because he had newspaper ads, billboards, Dr. Sebi can cure you. And he was, he was curing people. And the government stepped in and said, look, you have to stop telling people you're a doctor. You're not a doctor. And you have to stop telling people you can cure them because you're not really curing them. So he didn't stop. They charged them, federal court. They said, bring in people that supposedly you cured or you're going to jail. Bro, he brought like 70 people in, AIDS, cancer, and he beat him. Whoa. Federal government has, and I know from experience, <laughs> the federal government has a 98.5 conviction rate. Mm. So if they charge you, you, most likely you're going down. Yeah. He beat in trial the federal government. And a couple months later, they locked him up in a third world co- country and starved him to death. Wow, I did not know that. And the rumor is, and I don't know how true this is, but he was going to come out with a pill and give it out for free that cured everything. Like, every take this AIDS, cancer, and... Yeah, that's the thing, too, is like, uh, it, it, this goes back to the conditioning of the mind where, like, we know that this shit is set up. It's rigged. It's a rigged game. It's a rigged game. Yeah. But we just can't. Uh, we can't accept it. We can't, but we can't group together like we talked about earlier. Right. So I think what you're doing mm-hmm. is pretty dope, man. Thank you. Obviously, you know, I want you to be safe, too. So we don't have to- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it happens, it happens. But <laughs> Protect this man at all costs. Thank you. I appreciate that because... Yeah, it's dangerous. I mean, nowadays, so many people are on this health kick and natural supplements and taking care of yourself. Back then, there was only a few people doing it, so they were easier to pinpoint. But now, I mean, if you look up CMOS on Instagram, you'll get a hundred, maybe a thousand different CMOS. I mean, CMOS was on Shark Tank. Somebody got 600 grand for their CMOS company on Shark Tank. So it's it's almost like mainstream now. And why would they do something to me when there's thousand other people doing the same thing you know what i mean so i'm not really worried about that um more concerned with um people realizing the truth about health about spirituality about um self-awareness you know um as i'm getting older i realize that whatever i want to speak into existence i could speak it into existence there you go you know what i mean uh you have to have faith in a higher power but you also have to have ultimate faith in yourself yeah you know what I mean? Like, yeah. ultimately, it says faith without works is nothing. Yep. So you can have all the faith in the world, but if you're not putting the work behind it. Yeah, it's got to be follow through. Good luck with it. Yeah. Because, yeah, nobody's ever going to give you anything. I mean, it's a blessing when people help you out and look out for you and, you know, give you opportunities. But ultimately, you're in charge of creating your own opportunities, creating yeah. your own destiny, and just being happy yeah I, I was i'm glad you you wrapped that up there because i was getting ready to jump in and say it's in the four i'm 44 right and I, i've been doing this now for a couple years this right. is the only thing for me personally in my life that i feel like 
that I, uh, I'm where I'm supposed to be. Right. Right. Um, but everything I've ever tried before always seemed daunting, mm-hmm. difficult. Mm-hmm. And I honestly believe it's because when I'm doing, when you do what you're passionate about, you're no longer, you no longer have a sense of like, when is this going to happen? Right. You're just in the moment. In the moment. You're doing it and, and then the blessings come. And right. the blessings come in different ways, they man. Do. Like, I've just been blessed to meet people, right. to be like, you got to talk to this person. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got to get you hip to this person. So right. it's like the networking game for me was like, it kind of took off on its own accord. Right. Organic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and I, I, I I throw you in there as well. Like it's, this is a super dope conversation. Right. And I'm grateful that, Thank um, you. I'm grateful you hit me up, man. Yeah. Um, because I don't get that often. Right. And, well, like I said, um, a lot of the guests that you have were, either friends of mine or people that have had an impact on my life or um, just super dope people. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, I'm connected with all these people in a way somehow. And even Terry and Mac, like, yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. I've, you know, I've worked with them before. Uh, did you have Dom on? Dominic Miller? Nah. Okay. Super dope. You should I'll reach look out him to up. him. Yeah. yeah. Dominic, he's a spoken word artist. Um, you know, Vita Cologne. I could give you. I had Dominique, uh, Sir Dominique Jordan. Yeah, same person. Okay. Well, his not, last name's Miller, too. I did not know that. Asia okay. Miller is his mom. So, okay, yeah, okay. Sir Dominique. Yep. Forgive me. I've just. Yep. Matter of fact, he. Um, big shout out to Dom. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He uh, wants to get back home. We got to do it in person with yeah, him. Yeah, I got, I got him a job where I was working at when he was going through some rough times and kind of like introduced him to. You know, I can I can remember like it was yesterday. We're in the studio, and I'm like, "Bro, go ahead. I know you got some lyrics." Like, and okay, he's shy, and you know, didn't want to do it. And now he's look at him now, though, bro, bro. And that's another thing I want to tell you: planting seeds. Yeah. Somebody told me once, and this used to frustrate me because you know you work with somebody, you know, you speak life into them, you help them out, you mentor them, and they don't get it right away. Yeah. But it's not our job to fertilize or help that seed grow it's just our job to plant it mm. so i planted a seed in them in in dom and now look yeah. like it's amazing to me like even though i don't want to take credit for what he's doing now or you know boast Where, but i had a yeah. hand in that yeah 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 even if it's a small seed yeah but the smallest seed is is um a mustard seed yeah you know what that's why they say that as long as you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you're good. We all have the same amount of faith the size of a mustard seed. It's the smallest seed, but it produces the biggest flower. Okay. Yeah. So always remember that. Don't get frustrated if you plant a seed in somebody and you don't see the the, the outcome right away or the harvest. Yeah. It's coming. It might not be in your time. It might not be in their time. It's in God's time. Right. Right. So... That's another thing I take joy in and, and take satisfaction in when I come across somebody that I mentored at 10 years old and now they're 21, 22. Hey, Mr. Vega, I just want to thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full circle for Cause him. Because it, sure. it didn't make sense when you told me. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm a man or now that I'm a woman, now that I have my own family, I understand. And it makes sense. And that to me is more gratifying than anything in this world, really. Well, God bless you, bro. Thank you. I, I think what you're doing is phenomenal. Thank you. I think, um, it, I think, given the, you know, the life that you had and where you where you ended up, the mm-hmm. the 
you would you could have easily just given up, but right. you didn't. Right. Um, uh, one of the things I wanted to do this season uh, mm-hmm. to change things up, mm-hmm. and I'm going to start with you. Okay. Um, usually I wrap up by saying, you know, in five to ten years, where do you see yourself? But mm-hmm. what I want to do is I want to incorporate. Um, uh, I want to ask you a question. Okay. Go ahead. Shoot. Um, in the line of work that you're doing right now, mm-hmm. um, in social media, mm-hmm. you see a lot of um, health gurus. You mm-hmm. see a, a lot of uh, TikTok and Instagram uh, influencers right. pushing a lifestyle change. Mm-hmm. Eat this, drink this, exercise, blah, 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 blah. Right. Considering what you're doing now as mm-hmm. an entrepreneur and now you're opening up the Seamoss spot here on Hazel Street in Lancaster. Correct. Yep. Um, do you ever look at that and go, I need to um, follow the same? Are you following a template on social media to push your message? Are mm-hmm. you going about things differently? Do you find that people are looking at you going, oh, you just trying to sell me something? Right, right. No, nah, everything is organic for me, bro. Okay. However the spirit. Wow. Yeah, however the spirit moves me. I know content is everything. That's sure. what I keep that in mind. Content is everything. I do have not a huge following, but I do have people that are paying attention. Word. And I want to uh continuously uh feed their attention, but with good things. Like I said, back to the seeds. Like I just want to keep planting seeds. Yeah. Whatever happens, happens. Whatever I throw out there. Hopefully somebody grasps it. And like I said before, if it's one person, fine. If it's 100 people, even better. But if I can, and I just do this to affect people in a positive way. Yeah, yeah. That's it. And whatever comes along with that is cool with me. If I make money, great. If I don't make money, great. But if that one person uh, makes it through their day because of something I put it out there, I'm cool, bro. Word. Yeah, and like I totally believe in karma and energy. Whatever I put out is what I'm going to get back. That's how I see it. So if I constantly put out positive messages, if I constantly be transparent with people, because I I try to do that a lot, like I'm going through it too. Mm. I'm going through it too. I've made bad choices. I've made mistakes. Yep, yep, yep. You can still be all right. Yeah. You can still be great. The past is the past. Like, um... Let it go. Uh, I love it. Transparency is key. It is. I just try to be myself, bro. Yeah, man. I just try to be myself. You know, there's people that don't like it. There's people, it's funny, there's people that four years ago were telling me, you need to stop posting so much stuff on Facebook. You need to stop going live. You need to, like, and now guess what? Mm-hmm. Four years later, yeah. guess who's going live now? Yeah. <laughs> guess, <laughs> guess who's putting out their little right. messages now? And I'm like, right. hey, yeah. but- if it's a positive thing, if it's a good thing, I'm all for it. Maybe they caught it a little late, but hey, better late than never. You know what I mean? And it's a tool for me. Social media can be either a negative thing or a positive thing and extreme on both ends. Mm-hmm. Like there's kids out there, you know, cutting themselves and yeah. like, you know, suffering from depression. Now, some of these TikTok challenge. I mean, there was a TikTok challenge not too long ago where kids were developing a tick from... You know, watching videos. Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. It's 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 <laughs> it's deep, bro. So I I choose to, and I have a sweater that I made that says uh, above the algorithm. Okay. Yeah, I remember you posting that. Yeah, I I I travel above the algorithm, bro. I understand what it's for. 
I know, I understand how it works and I use it for motivation and positivity. Like, yeah. So every tool can be used either way, either either for good or bad. And I choose to, as much as I can, because I'm not perfect, like I said, but as much as I can, if I could put good energy out there, I'm going to do it. Word. Well, yeah. I'm a I'm a fan. Thank you. I'm a supporter. I'm gonna come check you out. I gotta check you out. <laughs> come get bro. some of that Cmos. Yeah, bro. man. Because I like get I you said, right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, you got me hyped on <laughs> it now, man. After I heard all the, yeah. the good the good uh, rapport about the guys yeah. coming back with the Cmos. Get some of that honey, boy. That honey <laughs> is the truth. That honey is the truth. Nah, but I appreciate you. This right here is obviously uh, Journeyman Chronicle season three. I'm yes. joined by none other. Then Johnny Vega, my man, thank you so thank much. Thank you for having me, bro. It's an honor and a privilege, and I, I wish you nothing but good things. And, you know, I, I can see this podcast taking off way more than what it is right now. Just keep well, the same blueprint because you. you're on your way, bro. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. are on your you. way. Thank you, bro. That's it. Peace. All right. Ooh. Good interview, bro. That was that dope. That was phenomenal. Bro. That was dope. I like that.